This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guests today are Alana and Dean Stott. Alana is an author, philanthropist, speaker, and former Miss Scotland. She is the author of How to Ask for Money, She Who Dares, and a new children's book series called Molly's Adventures. She was recently invested into the most excellent order of the British Empire. Dean Stott is a former SBS operator from the UK. He is also the world record-breaking cyclist who cycled the Pan-American Highway in under 100 days. Fascinating. His book is called Relentless. And now, without further ado, here's Dean and Alana Stott. All right, let's kick it off. Alana, Dean, thank you guys for coming up. I mean, and you guys right off the plane from California. You guys both look so stylish, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's so great to see you. I feel like uh, I feel like I know you guys already just because we've been corresponding for the last few years, and the whole last few years have turned into one long day on this end. And you guys have been so busy, so I can only imagine uh, that you feel similar uh, in how busy things are. But. before I dive into everything else, I need to ask about most excellent order of the British Empire. Oh, straight that, in. Yeah, straight <laughs> in. Uh, I'm going to go back from there, but I just, I'm so curious about how that, uh, how that comes about and then what that means and what company you're in and, and all of that. Um, you don't really get told. So actually, I received an email, uh, it would have been the end of November, beginning of December last year. Uh, from I think it was from the Home Office and it said that I'd been nominated by the Prime Minister to the King for this this award. So obviously I was like, yes, spam, it's a joke, I'm going oh, to read no it. Way. So I just ignored it, I thought it was. And then I got another one saying that if you want to reject it, you just ignore it. And then they said that it would eventually come out uh, in the press is when it's first announced. So it goes into the... Um, home office system or something and then it gets announced so I didn't believe it until I actually seen it on that day because I just wasn't quite sure what what it was what it was about what it was for um and then Dean told me that his dad had received the British Empire Empire which is the BEM okay which is a which is which is a similar medal um so the MBEs, the BEMs, the the OBEs. Um, I've heard of the OBEs. Yeah, the OBEs. So you tend to get, there'll be those people who um, excel in sport and business, okay. um, uh, actors, uh, they tend to get them. But then there's the, the, the silent heroes, the people who work behind the scenes, work in philanthropy or modern slavery and human trafficking that have been recognised for their work. So, and so I yeah. I think it goes in, so the member, member of the most excellent order of the British Empire is what I've got and then I think the order is just like a little step up so the OBE goes to um, I think people that might have already received and then there's the knighthood so that's the kind of levels of um, Sir Michael Keynes and Sir Elton John they're the ones that become knighted but you have to um, you have to keep it quiet keep it to yourself um, because they they release names twice a year 
Uh, one is the Alana did it on the New Year's on his list, and then the other one used to be the Queen's birthday, mm. but is now the King's birthday. Okay. Um, so it's twice a year, and then it's released actually in the London Gazette, which is the oldest printed newspaper in the UK, something like 1652 or something. Wow. Is, uh, so yeah, there's, there's, there's the whole history and the origins uh, of it, but you still didn't believe it. Until yeah, no, it's quite interesting Googling it all and reading all about it. And then I think um, to find out it was for the work with vulnerable women and things was mm. quite special because you do these things all the time um, and you never do them to be recognised. So to be recognised was, yeah. was kind of... Uh, I guess an honour, but I knew because I know what titles do is I knew that I could then ex put my work up to the next level. So that was what was was great for me when I when I seen it because it just gives you that extra layer of legitimacy, I guess, yeah. in, in the work that you're doing. Um, so yeah, it meant we had to go back in July. The family all came, um, went to Holyrood Palace, which is the Scottish castle where we met King Charles. Um, my son came along, he's seven, he was bored completely yeah. and yeah. was trying to sit on all the furniture in the castle that nice. you're not allowed to sit on. Perfect. And, um, yeah, it was a good day. And it was also the day that he got his uh, coronation in Scotland because you get an English coronation and then you get the Scottish coronation. So wow. it kind of followed on from that. So it was you had a busy day, day then. Yeah, yeah a busy day, yeah. Busy day. Really yeah. nice, nice day actually. We um, like I've met quite a few people with, you know, with Dean's friendship with Harry and... Mm -hmm. Um, I seen him at the wedding, that was, but you right. just kind of seen him. But to actually sit and chat with him, and we spoke a little bit about human trafficking and things. It was it was a nice, nice day. That's amazing. So you have a family picture with uh, with King Charles in it. Is that uh, just me and him? I've got one just me and him, but we've got some the family ones of us actually in the castle and um, the kids and Tommy's in a kilt, Dean's in a kilt. Yeah, nice. Tommy called it a quilt. A quilt. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be wearing it. this quilt, you know. Oh. You know. A, a, a child of seven doesn't really appreciate, you know, the yeah. surroundings that he's in. And literally, as we were just going into the next room, he's like, I'm bored. And I was like, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw yeah. I saw the king smirk. He's like, yeah, you can probably appreciate. But, it probably uh, wasn't the first time that no, he's yeah, had the kids exactly, say that. Yeah, so, but we had to pull in a favour because you're strictly only allowed two guests? No, three guests. So you're allowed three. I think COVID, they took it down to one and then you're uh, allowed three. Uh, okay. But we... We do a lot of work with the palace anyway on various different things. So um, we asked a favor from there to see because I had my dad who really wanted to go and I wanted my daughter there because it yeah. was for the award that it was for. And then Tommy said, well, he's not standing outside with the knights. He wants to be inside the castle. <laughs> so it was kind of this toss up with what we were going to do with Dean. But luckily we, we knew people who knew people. So we got Dean yeah. <laughs> Dean in as well. Yeah, Perfect. Perfect. Favor. Yeah. That is amazing. Is that... Uh, are there any people who uh, are not from the UK who have gotten that? Like in the Tom Clancy novels and Patriot Games, of course, uh, Jack Ryan gets, uh, yeah, uh, I think it's a knighthood. Um, yeah. It's been a long time since I read that book. So he's uh, Sir Jack Ryan. Is there anybody from outside? or? or I think if you are all part of the Commonwealth. Okay. So if, if you're part of the Commonwealth as well, but um, um, they're the only ones I know. It's normally UK and the Commonwealth. Well, I think okay. didn't um, Giuliani get one? Sorry? Didn't Rudy Giuliani get one? He's I'm not, not sure. I think there oh, really? is ways you can get There is ways, yeah, is there? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's ways I mean. Interesting. So Tom Clancy Maybe, maybe get Jack Carr MBE one day. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good three <laughs> letters. But Alana thinks I should be curtsying around the house, yes. which is not, still not going to happen. <laughs> not yet. happening, it's not yet? Happening. No, no. Uh, 
No, oh, that's they, fantastic that you guys yeah. got to do that. What a special thing, especially for the, the kids yeah. later on. And I think it, it was um, services to vulnerable women and mental health. Um, so I think it kind of, for that part of it, we took it as a family award yeah. because of the work that we'd done previously with Dean's bike ride mm-hmm. and things. And I think that because of his friendship with his little ginger friend, I think that he's never <laughs> going to get one. Uh, <laughs> really? Probably because owner non gratis now. Oh, really? Because yeah, then yeah. they'll be like, the only no, reason. No. Yeah. yeah. No, but I think, I think for me, I was probably more, more proud of an, for Alana because I, I see the hard work that Alana does. Uh-huh. And as Alana said, you know, services to vulnerable women, what she does behind the scenes in modern slavery and human trafficking. And then there was the mental health awareness. You know, Alana raised on my bike ride $1.4 million for mental health. And so for me, it was almost like that final chapter that we could close that yeah. uh, and move forward. So, and obviously perfect timing with your book how to ask for money because you've just been given an yeah. award from the king for it so yeah as alana said it's almost that legitimacy or credibility you know to to back her story so yeah, yeah i i was i was doing more somersaults than alana yeah That's so, so great but uh, more so the fact that you know she has been recognized for that hard work behind the scenes because not, not everyone especially the work that we're involved with uh, especially in security and mm-hmm. human trafficking you can't be you know, on social media, telling the world what what you do. A lot of the stuff we do. It's actually very funny because I really struggled to get Dean to post. You know, he's yeah. in this media world now, and mm. I'm like, you need to post on social media. And I don't want to post on social media, I but know, when it came tough. to this, he was like, "Yes, I'm sharing that." Ah, I'm like, I so don't cool. Share it. Ah. <laughs> so it's it's a funny thing. Well, I think, as, as you know, you come from the special forces. One of the ethos is is, is humility, and so you 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 don't really want to be not showing off or you don't you feel like you're you feel like you are showing off you yeah. feel like and but you know i'm now starting to understand uh, that it is a tool and not a vice you know it's there for if used correctly for the right reasons you know if you want to sell books if you want to talk about if you want to if you're sponsored by brands they need you to be to be sharing so it, it's taken a while and i'm slowly getting it's just learning to do it as you are, who yeah, you are, yeah. and, and not try and do this. Remain authentic. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be exhausting if you yeah. were trying to not be yourself. If you if you were engaged a lot yeah. on social media, it would be exhausting not to be yourself. Um, I look at it when I first stepped into this world, I very similar. I had no Facebook or Instagram or I had nothing in the military. Yeah. Uh, of course, now it's kind of weird if you don't have something like that when the intelligence side of the house, if you're doing you know <laughs> yeah, something, true. all of a sudden you're like, wait, you have no, yeah, you're in a room at some airport somewhere, and they're like, wait a second, you have no social media, no email, yeah. no computer with you. Like, what's going on? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. now it's like red flags, but I get to deal with that in the fictional sense now. But mm. as I was stepping into this world and realized that I would have to do that, um, I knew I couldn't be anything other than authentic. So there's there's that side of it. But I wanted to be, uh, you know, myself. I want to try to be as, as thoughtful as I can when I when I post these things and and uh, and do whatever I'm doing and sharing sharing the journey. But I looked at it as a small town general store. And like if someone's walking by and they look in the window and it's, you know, it says general store and there's a door there and there's a few items in the glass window there and they come inside and uh, like that's my storefront. So I looked at social media and website and that stuff. That's, that's my storefront. If someone comes in and they're asking for directions back to the interstate or they want to buy a six pack or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like you're there to help you're there to give those directions or here's the here's the six pack and in yeah. my case a book um that sort of a thing so or do they just want to chat it's kind of just exchange of information and a shaking of hands and um hopefully leaving somebody uh adding value to their life because they stopped in 
that store. So that's kind of how I looked at it when I started like down it, this yeah, path. But they've got absolutely no right to see what's in the back room, I guess. It's, it's yeah, exactly. Add on to that, like, yeah, I got yeah. some security in the back room ready to come on out and, you know, start stacking bodies if need be. But, you know, that's just that's just yeah. how it goes. Um, when you did that, when you went back there and and uh, and received this this recognition, and you got to sit down with uh, with the king. Were there was press there taking pictures, or was this was like a private thing? Uh, there was press outside, um, yeah. and but I think most of them had gone because the Royal Mile is where they were doing the uh, procession. Like literally straight after we finished our investitures, they were going straight mm. in, in the Royal Mile. So I think most of the press had gone down for that on that day, which was quite good. But I think they did allow them into the courtyard, but you could leave around the other side if you didn't want to go out there. So you could, you could, you can either be as involved or as okay. involved as you wanted to be with that. Um, and then they had their own photographers kind of inside the palace that you can do the family pictures and the individual okay. pictures and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, he gave you the, the medal there. You did a medal. Ah, oh, so cool. So cool. I was going to get to this later, but since we're on the, the subject of, of press and media and, and that world, uh, is that was it very different feeling from from the wedding then that, that you was that a, was that more chaotic or was this more reserved I, or what was it's the difference? Funny because I had a PR team here and they were because I was going back, they were like, we want to do this. We want to do that. We want to share. And I was like, I don't want to do any UK press, mm. which is it's it's a different feeling in the US it's a supportive feeling of it's a feeling of we're going to be doing these things around the books and around how to ask for money and and relentless mm. and the movies are ending we're doing when we're back in the UK we've still got that little bit of negativity of the things that happened to us before so we we didn't push it as much as as we as we wanted to but it was definitely like it's also a different time when when with the wedding you know the the couple were like you know the press loved them. You know, yeah. I, I I literally just finished the this is Prince the, Harry. For those listening, so don't know yeah, what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. So I I ju- just broken the world record um, weeks before week, a week before. week before. Yeah, the wedding was on the eighteenth. Was it eighteenth or nineteenth? Nineteenth. I broke the world record on the eleventh in Alaska. Crazy. And landed back in UK on the seventeenth, and. I hadn't really been following it because I'd been so fixated mm-hmm. on this bike ride. I came back and I last time I'd seen crowds like that and the buzz around the city was the London Olympics. Mm. And it, it, was, it was amazing. So, But I hadn't really digested or taken on board what I'd just achieved the last three and a half months. And I became the first man in history to cycle the world's longest road. And then all of a sudden I'm then hit with the world's press. So I'm still trying to... I think get used to being around to Alana and the kids. Never mind having the world's press. I had thirty right. interviews in 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 the first thirty six hours. But, but all also, the it was the, the the bike ride was the reason that Dean got you know. So before we decided that Dean was going to do the bike ride, Dean had no social media, no presence. Yeah. As we were saying, he was completely this was alien yeah. to him. So we set it up because we knew for fundraising we were going to have to have that presence. We were going to have to show these things. So before the bike ride, he had nothing. And then now we're in this stage. He's finished this bike ride where he was on his own for four or five months. And then he's in front of everyone and he's being, mm. you know, photographed and there's stories being written and there's this attention on him that he, it was. Yeah. And I, th- I think for me it was more, I, I just wanted to appreciate what I'd, I'd achieved. And then all of a sudden it was, you had two big highs within a week. Yeah. yeah, you've just taken two world records, uh, raised one point four million dollars. But all the questions were, 
you know, what canopies did you have and what did you drink? I'm like, really? I've just <laughs> cycled 14,000 miles. Yeah. Uh, and so and so for me, the, the wedding sort of superseded everything that yeah. we, we'd done. And then, and then going on from there, it was whatever we did, you know, as you know, we've single-handedly evacuated embassies. We've got hundreds of people out of uh, war-torn countries. But you will always be associated as Prince Harry's special forces friend. And it's like, oh, my <laughs> word. Uh, whereas now, though, there has been a period of time where we have had that, that uh, between yeah. the wedding and, and here, when we, we're still very good friends, but we've sort of distanced ourselves because we have great stories anyway without the fact right. that I have a ginger friend. And so... this is yourself from the need because... Ever since Dean met Harry, he's had a bit of a protective, like big brother nature towards him. So whenever Harry was being um, unjustly attacked, Dean felt the need to defend him and yeah. he would always feel that need. But by going out there in the press and doing it, he was making himself a target mm. almost. So, you know, the friendship and everything else is still strong. It's just that side of it mm. had to come back for it. Dean's yeah, own yeah. sake, really, as well. I'd, I'd seen the Harry that the world hasn't seen, and that was the that was the officer. Mm. You know, he'd done two tours of Afghanistan, and that's what I was defending. Yeah. He, regardless what he's saying, this this guy has risked his own life. He's done two tours of of, of uh, Afghanistan, and that and that's what upsets me at the moment here in America. I, a lot of Americans don't realise that he is a a war veteran, yeah. and and so and so that's what I defend yeah. uh, and with him. And he's also stepped into this celebrity world. Right. Like, obviously, he was in the royal family, but that was totally different to coming into this this brand new world. That so he and he doesn't know anything about it, and he's yeah. learning, and he's he's going to make mistakes, and he's going to yeah. do things that aren't you know maybe advisable. But everybody has to learn, and we're going to oh, go yeah. through these processes. And it's tough because you're once you're out if you're out there you just got to know that if yeah. you want to be out there or do something that requires you to be out there, there's no armor and you're yeah. just going to get people throwing spears and shooting arrows and you can't defend against all of them. So you just yeah. kind of have to accept that that's part of the life and you're going to take these exactly. hits and they're going to be kind of only as hard as you let them yeah. be or how much you focus on those things, whether you're reading comments on, uh, on social channels or, or whatever it might be like people are going to take shots yeah. and they can take shots from behind cover and you have no cover yeah. at all yeah. as you guys yeah. have dealt and with. And shots are going to come from like things you could have said or done 20 years ago. Oh, they'll come from every direction. Changed in that, you know, the person you were 20 years ago probably isn't that same person now, but, um, you're not allowed to have that mistakes, I guess, as a public figure that could be, you know, if we're going to keep going back to that past, keep going back. And I think that's, you know, the, the authenticity on social media is what we are saying is we want to be completely real and we want to say what we think when, you know, what we believe, but that might change in five years. What I believe right now might not be the same. And I think there isn't much leeway when it comes to mainstream media now and that. Yeah, I mean, we're all learning, we're all evolving, hopefully becoming wiser, taking lessons from the past, applying them going forward as wisdom, hopefully. But uh, that allows people from the shadows to be like, oh, look what this person said five yeah. years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. And then they can just keep throwing it up there just to, as you know, from the, the I was going to ask you later about the the journalist and, and media, uh, that, that putting hit pieces and how you deal with that. And I mean, it's it's all brand new to anybody that steps yeah. into that public space. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a new battle space. It's not yeah. like the one that we came from. I think, I think for us, you know, when we got targeted by the UK, you know, the first, it said Prince Harry's special forces friend. So that's it. The, the focus isn't actually on you. So I actually spoke to Harry when there was a, there was an allegation and 
he read, he said, I'm, I'm loathed to log on <laughs> because of clickbait. Yeah. Um, but he actually spoke me through it. He said, it's in inverted commas. It doesn't, it's not even true. And actually we were one of nine people in that paper that day. They had targeted Serena Williams, anyone in and around the couple. And yeah. so that we, we soon learned a lesson. I put my barriers up because for me is they were questioning my integrity. And that's one thing I, I pride myself on is from the special forces is the integrity. Um, and Alana, thankfully I had Alana there because my sort of, you know, from our backgrounds, my go-to is, well, let's kick in the door, throw mm -hmm. a few grenades and, you know, get rid of this journalist. Mm -hmm. And Alana's like, no, let's, <laughs> let, let's buy that. Yeah, yeah, it is illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Let's bide our time, you know, let, let's do it. And, and it was, it was that dignified silence. Mm -hmm. And then later on when it was all refuted. And, and again, that's why I, with the MBE with Alana, it was almost like a middle finger to the journalist. Everything yeah. you said not only wasn't true, but yeah. we've been recognised for it. So right. there is an, an element of, of doing it. We see some of our friends who are now public figures and they get targeted and they just respond. Yeah. And I would have done that if it wasn't for Alana. And I, I'm thankful Alana was there because 18 months later, it's almost like you have a little smirk. It's that dignified right. silence. You just let it yeah. go. And then, you know, and you don't need to argue. Right. You don't need to argue. And, and your integrity... But has your been gut regained. is telling you to, yeah. to defend oh, yeah. yourself. Oh, well, it's only natural, but yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's yeah. a different battle space and it's so, it's so tough. It's, uh, and the part about being real and authentic publicly, I think it makes those shots hurt more. Because yeah. Yeah. If, if it's not you out there and you're just a, a character that you're playing yeah. essentially and putting something out there and someone is shooting you know, arrows at that character, mm. well, it's not really you. It's not going to hurt as much. But if you're sharing... Uh, feelings that are real, thoughts that are real, trying to add value to people's lives and you're getting those shots, I think they hurt more yeah. um, and it's harder to defend against yeah. those yeah. things just and because... you have people oh. telling you grow a thick skin, you know, you have yeah. to, but it is hard if you are, you know, a person, especially if you're somebody who, who does care a lot, it's yeah. going to hurt. So you do grow and you do learn, but I think even just working with, uh, in the security world, with the stalking cases that I work with and the things that I start to see like human nature some of the letters that i've seen from people that have been sent to to celebrity figures and things and you think you don't know this person yeah. you're wishing harm on them you're wishing death yeah. on them, you're wishing pain on them um you can't get with journalists it's different i mean with with certain with those journalists that we had i'd sent them all the evidence that what they were saying wasn't true but yeah. it was more important to write that article because right. they knew it would be far too difficult for us to, oh, yeah. to sue them or whatever. So and you're not going to change anybody's mind, even with no. that, even with someone, someone, they obviously know they're printing something yeah. just to get a, a click or a headline or, or some recognition on yeah. their side and they're hurting you. They obviously don't care. They they think of it as probably a, a game. Um, like there's this, uh, so I did a giveaway yesterday. I do try to do a giveaway the first Monday of every month, just uh, as a way to say thank you to people who follow on social media or watch the show or listen to the podcast or whatever it is so it's on it's on instagram and uh sometimes there's brands that people know like a, a sig and we'll give away a pistol or a rifle or something like that and then sometimes it's an up-and-coming knife maker and uh just trying to help out that company or whatever and all you have to do is really comment and follow those companies and and that's pretty much it and uh so i try to make it as easy as possible the few barriers oh sign up for the newsletter you know like that's it yeah um but uh all of so I'm going through the comments yesterday just doing a quick like scan and someone's going to win this thing and I'm just just kind of seeing how many you know what, what people are excited about and they're really excited for this giveaway and I'm looking and then this one comment jumps out and it's uh someone saying this is an overt grab for followers f you you know like that and I'm oh, like yeah, okay. 
Uh, I mean, I, it's hard to do these giveaways. You have yeah, to coordinate yeah, yeah. with all those different companies. You have to get the photos or the, the piece of kit or whatever and get the pictures up there and figure out the copy. And then you have to spend time going through. So like as a value proposition, it doesn't benefit me yeah. at all. Like I need uh -huh. to be writing books and scripts and, uh, but it's something I like to do. And then you see somebody that says something like that. And I clicked on them and I'm like, uh, you know, it looks like a normal dude, you know, but, yeah. but I was well, just why like, is uh, it we see that. Why is it we see that? Yeah. Yeah, why is it just that one comment? You got, yeah. you got yeah. thousands of yeah, others yeah, which yeah. complimenting you. I mean, that one is one <laughs> yeah. that you get fixated on. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, no, like it's, it's not going to change his mind. I'm not going to be like, no. oh no, it's really just that. Yeah. No, you're not going to help yeah. that person. It's probably a sign of some other like deep seated yeah. issue well, that I they have. Like, why would you take with, that time to comment? With social media and with the way of the world today, I think we we have got this, this victim mentality, this yeah. blame and also entitlement. Like he felt entitled to <laughs> tell you how he felt. About yeah, yeah, that yeah. Thing and that's just a part of it. And you yeah, got to yeah. be like, just take a breath and be like, you know, that's just a part of this this thing yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. You know? See, for me, I, 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 I don't know, according to the keyboard warriors, I'm like, yeah. would this person say this in, yeah. you know? No way. I, I you know, I, I made a, a comment um, when going back to the journalistic integrity of the UK press mm -hmm. is that I have, and, and, and we got targeted on, on Twitter with these anomalies. And I said, I, I had more respect for the Taliban than I do for these people because this person at least is standing in front of me mm. and showing their yeah. face. It's those that sort of hide as, as bots. That that was what yeah. that what got me is that right. I'm fighting an enemy and it, it was probably only about two people as well. You know, we had hundreds of thousands of people with, with, with complimenting comments and, and then you just focus on the two. Yeah. And, and it's like... I think you've got to go into the psyche of, you know, mm. you sit down there, you set up an anonymous account, you tweet people nasty things like, what is going on in that person's world yeah. and their life that they That's what you got to think. That. You got to be yeah. like, okay, I feel sorry for this person yeah. and they're not they're not going to impact, you know, book yeah. sales or audiobook sales or podcast yeah. listens or because they're, they're so insignificant mm. that uh, you almost feel uh, a little empathy. Yeah. Them, you know, like was, I think it was when good. they started targeting our daughter's school as well. Oh, that's geez. when they started crossing the line. I yeah, mean, yeah. this is when you sort of then question yourself, is this person a stalker? You know, right. do you have to worry about this? And, and this is what we do a lot. Alana does a lot of uh, child exploitation online protection and it's trying to find that balance of just someone who's bored, especially during COVID. We had a mm. lot of stalking cases during COVID and it's because a lot of people were sat at home and had a lot of time on their hands. <sighs> and then all of a sudden they disappear and I said, well, maybe they're, they've gone back to work. Maybe they're in a relationship now. Mm. You, you don't know what it is, but it's very hard to decipher. And there are sort of telltale signs of who is actually just bored yeah. and who is actually a genuine risk Right. And you need to be be aware of it. And I think that's when that's when I got my back up when it went to the, my daughter's school. Is that now the lines crossed? Oh, <laughs> so. Wow. Well, yeah. and I think yeah. that we hadn't realised that. And I think that's almost from when when you start when we are dealing with people now that people start to question: Is it someone who knows me? Is it someone mm -hmm. close to me? Because um, mm -hmm. they can get these little bits of information. And I think back mm -hmm. then, I think I'd maybe commented on something about her school, or her school had actually shared a picture of mm -hmm. her, and that's how it it come out. Mm. Um, but now some of the people that I deal with, as I, I was saying earlier, we um, just do a deep dive into their social media to start with and we can mm. see these things. And I do understand that a lot of celebrities have to be on there constantly and doing things, but things like, do you have to be on there in real time? Do you have mm. to be on, do you have to show your kids school? Do you have to show right. where you live? Do you have to show all these things? I would say no. Mm. Like you can say, yeah, I live in California and Laguna mm. Beach, but you don't need to put your street mm. name or right. Here's my address. Here's the front of my house. Yeah, here's here's a, a picture. Yeah, uh, and how much you show 
of your actual I mean as I was saying one of these cases I had we were able to literally draw out the layout of our house by just piecing together the pictures that she'd put on you know we knew the color of her doors we knew obviously where she Mm -hmm. went the kids went to school what time they left um, I mean, you name it, I could put her week mm-hmm. together yeah. just by her social media. She posts. was adamant that she was quite secure online. She goes, yeah. I, I haven't put any of this information out. And, and we reviewed her Instagram and she goes, I know everyone, all of my followers. And then we gave a whole list, didn't we? And it must be about yeah. 700. There was a lot of who are the Who are these people? And she's like, I don't know. I said, yeah. well, you, need to, you need to get rid of them. So we actually, it's very difficult to remain covert you know stuff you know you you're giving away so much information so um yeah it's 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 hard yeah and i find it and since moving to america as well i think uk does have a little bit tighter but if you you know as soon as you buy a property as soon as you register for mail as soon as you get a mobile phone these things are all a lot of the information that i find out a lot of the investigation work i do is open source there's nothing it's all out there um and that's even for us when we were trying to work on the addresses because we were renting and things uh-huh. it was very difficult to keep it's tough where we were yeah. living yeah it's really tough you dig down deep enough you'll you'll yeah. find it so i think uh like the key is putting up a, enough barriers that it makes you a little bit harder target than somebody else who's maybe not taking some of those yeah. precautions yeah. but it's tougher the, the digital world i mean imagine trying to find out information on somebody yeah. back in like 1940 and then yeah. compared to today what we're giving out there investigators actually yeah. had to work back then <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they had to leave you know <laughs> they had to go get a donut and a newspaper and sit in some sort of a nondescript vehicle and uh do all that sorts of thing now it's just you can do it all on your your phone and journalists, so crazy. Well. journalists had to do their work there back then and, yeah. and, yeah. and stuff but um it's all going back alana wrote an art there's a newspaper we work with back in the uk called hacked off hmm. and they it was formed by Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant originally. Oh, really? Yeah. So when they were getting targeted by the media, some big A-listers, um, they, they just had enough, and so they set up a, a group called Hacked Off, and their journalists are one hundred percent authentic. They won't print anything unless it is one hundred percent genuine uh-huh. and, and done their investigation. And actually, it was Harry who mentioned it to us. Um, and so when we actually got everything refuted. Alana wrote an article for Hacked Off, and well, it was the I'd most downloaded the, article with Hacked Off. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. I'd asked the journalists and the papers that had wrote the story. So when we had all the evidence and everything complete to show that what they'd said wasn't true, um, and we said, look, could you you know, clear our name a bit here? Well, absolutely not. We're not doing that. And mm. Actually, I didn't even get a response. Uh, and then this, this Hacked Off had got in touch, and... We ended up speaking and the guy was going to write an article, Brian, um, fantastic journalist. And he said, but I've read some of your writing, Alana. Would you like to give it a oh, go cool. yourself? So that was really cool. So I wrote it and he just helped me with a few of the oh, bits nice. of it. And it was really, I guess it was really therapeutic because I was able to put down what what I'd been through, what Dean had been through and the kids. And then it was almost like that was my closure. So now yeah. if anybody ever mentions those things, I'm like, there's, there's the article. Like mm. you can read the answers there. Yeah. Um, but... I I feel like you don't get put through anything for for no reason. Everything okay. that we went through was yeah. to to bring us to where we are now, and, and we do use a lot of what we went through to help other people now. So yeah. Well, you guys kept calling it a bike ride. So for those listening, they can go back to our first podcast yes. or get Relentless right here. Uh, this book yeah. for those who are uh, not watching but listening, um, Relentless here in the States. The one, if you're watching, you can see it up yeah. there on the uh, on the wood burning stove there. And then that's the UK cover. Is that the UK cover? That's that's the UK cover. So when we when we came over to America, um, 
um, you know, People Magazine did a, a four-page special. I went on Jocko's podcast, and the book had just been. Well, actually, to say that it doesn't affect the book sales, what yeah. you're saying is that we had, I think, probably like seven Twitter accounts that were giving us a lot, but they would, they would probably book hundreds of tweets out every day Jeez. to anybody who would ever mention our name. So That's crazy. So when the release of the UK book was happening um, and the accusations were being made, we were actually struggling to get um, attention on the book because there was all this stuff being huh. said. So it didn't have the best of releases on the first round. And then when we moved to the US and Dean went on Jocko's podcast, there was a huge demand for it, but the publishers over there didn't want to, to pull it over yet. And they were uh. saying COVID printing issues and all sorts of other things. And I was having a, a real argument with them about getting it to the US. And then eventually I just said, tell you what, I'll buy the rights for it. Oh, sell, yeah. sell me the US rights and I'll buy it and we'll publish it ourselves. Yeah. Oh, cool. so that's, exactly yeah. that's what you did. Happened. Yeah, that's what we did. And so we looked at the cover because the, the cover of that one, it doesn't actually say anything about a bike ride and you're, you're losing a uh, whole community world record breaker but yeah world record breaker but it's not a, not a bike so it, you're losing a whole community of cyclists ah, okay. just from the front cover so uh, 511 we sat down with their, their designers and we americanized the book because obviously the american book you'd never get away without in the uk uh, oh is that right? in the minimi with ammunition around your neck okay because uh, you, you do have rifles here too do you have rifles yeah a couple of frogmen in the background yeah, yeah. and um so we we um i mean we 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 watermarked the cyclist at the front, so at least you can see it's a cyclist. Okay. Um, and then I think the book, you know, some great influences on the book in the UK, Serrano Fines, who's ex-SAS and amazing I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Did, did you, have you met him before? You spent yeah, yeah, I've met him before. Yeah, he's a, a lovely guy. I and mean, then you had Bear Grylls yeah. and Leveson Wood. Yeah. But actually, Serrano Fines and Leveson Wood, not really known here in, in the US. So we, we, we kept Bear Grylls, Admiral McRaven and, and mm. Jocko. Put okay. A couple of, um, so very much Americanized the book in almost like a, a second launch, wasn't it? So... Um, yeah, and it was good because we got to have a little bit more control. So there is a okay. little bit difference between, between the, books. the books. We got to add a couple of bits okay. in the UK when when ah, so Oh, interesting. A little difference. I did not know that. That's a good yeah. to know. Yeah. It's a good reason for people to get both <laughs> and then uh, and compare. You know, yeah. that, and it's also so there was because uh, uh, I have the books for for you obviously that yeah. I'm holding, uh, and then I have um, uh, Foxy's book, and I have, yeah. and so there, there was a similar theme. It's to exactly all those. the same theme, and it's the I'll same photographer. It was called Robert Wilson. Okay. They're, all they're all awesome, though. They're all up. Yeah. yeah, they're all opposite. But again, when we were sat down with Five Eleven um, in the US, it's all about light and hope, whereas UK is very dark, mm. and so we really literally night and day excuse the pun with with both books that's yeah. very dark with my face which is quite intimidating to something with, with me smiling uh -huh. which is which is pretty much me yeah <laughs> yeah with a gun yeah no, i love it, the gun, uh, yeah. all the different covers for all the different so i'm very involved in my covers yeah in the u.s okay. and i make sure i'll get, get the finger off the trigger no it's the wrong pistol yeah. no this no it's so like so i'm very involved in those but i could be involved in the international covers but i'm not because i think they're pretty funny okay. um and you'll, you'll have somebody you know like the cut off shirt like there's not a cut off shirt in the book why is he like you know or the tattoo on, what yeah. and then finger on the trigger he like he's pointing it at his knee like you know all the stuff like that but it's interesting how different they are all around the world that yeah. german cover is different from the one in poland different than the one in the uk but uk and australia and south africa 
think those ones are either the same or very similar. Yeah, okay, UK yeah. and Australia are very mm-hmm. close. Yeah, yeah, very close, yeah. That, yeah, yeah but, I, but I collect them all. That I love looking at them all because they're yeah. all so different yeah. for those different markets. That, and the Japanese cover is totally different. It's up on the wall or on the shelf over there, yeah. but it's like totally different. And I, I think that I'm going to get that one blown up just because it's really it's really cool but uh but no i like these ones yeah, you know i like i like all these but now i'm gonna go through i didn't know that there were this different yeah, stuff in there so now i want to see i edited it um and i think i just finished she who dares when i went on to edit this and it was really bad because i'd done a full edit and forgot to save um oh, and no. you can imagine that feeling i, was I can yeah, and we, um, we changed the S to Z for the you know, Americanized the book. You okay, know, different yeah. ways of spelling. Okay, <laughs> so there it there is. There was a couple of stories in the book that Dean had to change a little bit on just for um, disclosure. So we yeah. have the Ministry of Defence, right. like your DOD, it mm-hmm. has to go through them. Um, mm-hmm. um, but the law in UK it doesn't reflect the law in US, yeah. so we could mm-hmm. we're op- open to and there was a couple, I think elaborate a bit more. I added on the selection process, we stop as soon as he yeah. uh, arrives in the jungle. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we can only we can only do selection the first four weeks, which is the hills phase, and okay. then we stop. And I actually don't go, you know, out of respect for the the guys. I don't go into any details of the yeah. special forces because there's plenty of other stories in in the security that I didn't I didn't need to. He's obviously not read that one. Then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I actually <laughs> haven't read the American one. Have so you read this one? It. I, I have actually read okay. that. Yes. I did the final version? Because there's a couple that I was like, as I was reading this one, I was yeah. like, oh, there's a couple things in here that weren't in here. Yeah. And maybe some of the ones that ended up in the US version over there. Well, that's a really interesting story we can get to. Well, if I ever die, there'll be another book with the actual <laughs> stories in there. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes. I'll be writing straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch yourself. Watch I your back. I won't be accountable to the MOD. Oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to you about that, the MOD over there and how different mm. it is over there than here. But uh, She Who Dares, is this out? Is that right now? Now or is this this is out right now um and you guys have been all over the place i mean you guys are so so busy but thank you for sharing this with me year two years ago like early version um and i remember reading it i was up in that area that's being uh remodeled right now over there when i when i read it but um i mean so honest so moving and it was really cool to have already read dean's book and then to get your perspective on some of those things which i want to ask you about but um in this you started working at a very young age. Like you were, how, when was your first job? How old were you? 11. 11. Jeez. I mean, that's, and then, and then not soon thereafter, there was the coffee shop, which has the burn incident, which is like, you're reading this and you're like, Oh my goodness, you're going through so much at such a young age. Um, Really interesting actually, because we've just returned to the UK to do our medical for um, our visa process. And one of the things we had to do for that was we had to get our medical docs from the, the, the doctors so they came in and I was just reading through them both of us read through them and we were like it was a lot of the things in the medical docs I was like wow I I forgot that part and I forgot that was going on and then you were adding up everything from what was in the book coinciding with the medical docs it was I think probably I would have wrote it a little bit differently as well Mm. even then because there was a couple of things I'd forgot about during that time it was an interesting period but yeah my mum and dad got divorced when I was seven and she was a single mum and there was you know, limited funds in the house. So if we wanted anything, it, we had to go and work. That was how it was. And yeah, you and I mean, you were all, all about it, like <laughs> figuring out how to make money, how to save money, very cognizant of where you spent it. Um, and there's also the knife incident. Someone, was your mom dating that, the person who's in the front yard with a knife and the whole, I mean, there's a lot you dealt with at a very young age that um, helped 
make you who you are today, obviously that you share in, in this. Um, but, uh, those years, oh my gosh! I mean, it's, it's they're almost. I mean, it's it's so hard to read, but I think anyone can relate to them because uh, everyone's going to hit adversity at some point along mm-hmm. the line. No matter yeah, how much money you're born with, or whatever your family you're born into, you're gonna something's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's what connected Dean and I. I think because we both had that similar upbringing. There, there was there was things that that happened with with both of us. But it's really interesting right now because my daughter's twelve now, mm. and some of the things in the book are going around that that kind of age and I look at her and I think you're just a baby you know you're just a, you're just a little girl um but I remember back then thinking no I can deal with this you know I'm I'm strong I'm tough I'm grown up I can deal with it but I look at her and think no you shouldn't be dealing with most of those things yeah. but yeah it does form you and it does make you who you are so it's yeah it's can't be experience about experiences you know it's, it's, it builds that that resiliency and, and grit um yeah. but yeah I, I agree you know you say you look at Molly, who's twelve, and you're going through things. I, I, I look at seventeen-year-old boys, and they're boys. I joined the army at seventeen. There's no way my son's going in. It's just <laughs> a different. I mean, it was just a different. Yeah. It was a different era. Yeah. Um, but I did. I read Alana's book. I was filming. Uh, I was in Colombia, and I knew some of Alana's stories, but I didn't. I, um, I, I wasn't able to connect the dot on timelines mm-hmm. actually. And so, so for me, I came back from that trip, and it's sort of really. I knew Alana did a lot behind the scenes for me, but I wasn't aware how much until I actually read that book. And, mm-hmm. and Alana, writing that book, a lot of people had read Relentless. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about Alana mm-hmm. in, in the book and what she does in, in the background. But And they said, when's Alana's books coming? We want to hear her story. So that's because that's, you, you're already putting pen to paper. But you, again, it's that, yeah, do I, I release writing. it? like as a child like I was always writing and, and as a family I mean my granddad wrote little poems there was always little poems around the house mm. and my mum liked to write so I was always writing we had like little sh- I had a little book that I would write little short stories in um and then my mum died I, she died when I was 15 and then I remember just I just stopped I stopped writing completely and then in 2020 my great auntie Molly who who's in mm. the book quite a bit yeah she passed away and there was something that happened when she died I was clearing out her house and there was this Parker pen that she always used to have and and it just fell on my lap pretty much and it was almost like something was shouting for me to write Mm. and there was this course it was like a masterclass course and it was a little bit expensive for us at the time we didn't have the funds and the next day a check came in for the exact amount that the course was from Auntie Molly's yep. estate. Um, One pound off or something like that? Yeah, yeah and it, really. the three pounds was in my actual pocket. So um, I started writing then, and then as soon as I started, I was like, oh my God, it won't stop coming. And, and you'll know what it's like. It was just like, there's so much to write here. So I had She Who Dares already kind of journaled a little bit, mm. but then that's when the fiction stuff I was writing, the mm. screenplays, the children's books, the, the money books, all these things just started coming and haven't really stopped. Um, but yeah, so She Who Dares was always kind of in the middle. I feel like a bit yeah. of a fraud because you two actually write books, I just get yeah. a ghostwriter. <laughs> you know I mean? Maybe you're smarter yeah, because yeah. Um, it's so stressful. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, especially when you're behind uh, deadlines. Lana does throw months. it down, she's good. I actually am an author, I wrote this. I was like, okay, fair one. It's a good point. Uh. <laughs> It's 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 funny. I don't know if you ever feel it, but some you know a lot of these guys they do have ghostwriters, which they, they absolutely. Need. I think Dean could could probably write it. It would just maybe take ten years. It's too like busy, it's, yeah. But um, 
when I I always do get interested as to who the ghostwriter is because mm. we've become really close to Dean's ghostwriter. Uh-huh. Um, and then when I did start writing, he's given me a lot of advice and um, he's he is a really, really good friend now and we do do a lot of stuff with them. So I always have like huge respect for what they do because they write these amazing books that uh. become bestsellers and get very little recognition. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of actual author I mean Dean's super open about who his ghostwriter is mm. and how he worked with them. But I think a lot of authors say Yeah, no, I have never used a ghostwriter. I've never I done I actually that. put the ghostwriters' names in my books as well. I saw Oh nice. It. Yeah, so yeah, Dean Stott and Garant Jones. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've yeah, had him yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's yeah, fantastic. So. He does that for a few people, I think. Yeah. Well, he, or, or he does different series he's busy, he's busy. Uh, i know that yeah yeah you know? he's, he's busy yeah but i just thought you know, great, he needs the recognition writer. as well and, he, and you know that that's his job and so mm-hmm. and so actually i've just connected him to a good friend of mine pete he wants to write his book and i said well look this is the guy you need to yeah. use Interesting. And we i got the choice through our um, publisher they were like you can choose your ghostwriter and jez was the first one they brought in and and the reason i like jez is the fact that he was he was ex-military, mm-hmm. and so he understood the terminology. Wherever yep. you had someone who wasn't military, and you were you trying to explain, to explain uh, what you're saying, and we have a you know in the military we have our own, and as you know, we have our own slang as well. And so yeah. when I was talking to him, he, he understood what I was saying. You know what you're meant, and not to bring Harry into it again, but his ghostwriter wasn't. And although he was a very good ghostwriter, there were certain things in that book that you maybe wouldn't put in the book if it had been yep. somebody like yeah. him. That's what I noticed on some of these, yeah. you know, like that. You're like, uh, I don't yeah. think they, they probably like skimmed it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah, it's like probably. made, and because I don't think you would say no. this, you'd say this. Like, yeah. uh, it's, it's very interesting. And, and people have commented on Relentless how it flows really well. You know, it flows because for me, when I, again, it was that I was thinking about the SF community. You know, I, I didn't really care what, the general community for uh, the general pu- public for it was how would my friends interpret this book and so i wanted to go into a lot more detail yeah being uh, being special forces you, you like the detail yeah yeah and jez was like 99 percent of these readers don't care about that yeah and so he actually skimmed that uh, and made it flow really well okay. so it would have been totally a different book if it was left up to me it probably about that thick Interesting. Um, but yeah, he, he, yeah he's cut it down so yeah so for me the ghostwriter was, was great and we we turned it around quite quick. We had a two-month window, didn't we? We literally had a two-month window from contract to get oh, wow. the first edition. That's insane. Yeah, so each day, him and I would be on the phone for an hour, and we'd just start at the beginning. And, and he would type three, three to 5,000 words a day. And then, yeah. My, my record is 5,600, 5,700, like wow. for this last book. Yeah. And it almost, I think I'm still recovering now. Yeah. It was like a year ago. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a lot. You know, yeah, Jazzy, he lives yeah, with yeah. his mum and a cat. No. I mean, so, so he's, he's good? He's, yeah, he's no responsibilities whatsoever? No well, all. that's the key right there. If you have three kids <laughs> yeah. running around, a dog, and, and a ginger all cat. the rest of this, it's, which is actually it's insanity. We'd put, yeah, we actually found the, as a kitten, didn't it? It was, yeah. a, really? it was an orphan. Yeah, yeah. And it's now... He's fully yeah. in love with it. He's her. fully in love with that oh, cat. Yeah. So um, that's so wild. Are some <laughs> of the other like he's not just a ghostwriter. Obviously, he's doing that in addition to his own books and the things he's got going on, nonfiction and yeah. historical fiction. And he's got a lot of lot of things going on. Really mm-hmm. interesting guy. Um, are there some other ones out there that just ghostwrite? Like I I don't know. Are there some people that because I know that like Mark Graney he talks about it every now and again. He is the gray man. Mm-hmm. He did uh, some ghostwriting years years ago. Like early 2000 maybe no no maybe like 2010 ish 11 somewhere in there anyway right. um but uh but but he also had his own books yeah. and then he started doing the clancy ones oh, okay. first with tom clancy then when clancy passed away he did the next three um uh on his own um but are there some people that just ghostwrite and don't have their own 
thing going on? Like, how would you, how would you find somebody? Because I've always wondered that, and I never yeah, even asked. I could probably like, I mean, the UK, ask a there's bunch like of people. Ghostwriter.co.uk, but, but I think huh. most of the literary agents know them. I think Ant's ghostwriter will. Um, he only does ghostwriting. I think. Is it, how would they find um, that person? That so in yeah. my mind, I'm like, I, I see how they found Mark Graney because he had the gray man out, and maybe he had a his first Tom Clancy out or something. I'm not not sure, but he at least had a gray man or two out already uh, when he did the one that he did uh, or the couple that he that he did. But if you didn't have your own series, like how would you even? How would you even know? I guess the agents know. I mean, I had a lady approach yeah. me actually when I was writing She Who Dares, um, and she only done ghostwriting as well, and she done a few. Um, pieces for universities and mm. things so she had a few pieces out there like that but um i mean i i said no but i feel like she only done yeah if she's done a book i'm not sure well, it's interesting that they, they can turn it around in three months i wonder if yeah. they're so disassociated from it where it's um because when you're writing it's so personal yeah. And so for me, it takes a full year, whether I'm actually physically, like right now I'm not physically writing because we're having this conversation. Yeah. But I'm as soon as we're done, I'll be in the back of my mind, even if I'm running out to kids lacrosse practice or whatever else, making dinner, like it's fermenting in the back of my mind. Everybody's in bed. Then I'll go down and I'll keep writing tonight really late. And I'll just keep working on all these things. Um, but it's so personal. I wonder if I take all that time because it is um, mm -hmm. looking, going into these feelings and emotions from downrange, yeah. applying them to a fictional narrative. But it's, but if I was writing it for somebody else, you might be like, oh, we'll catch this later. We'll catch this in edits. And you're just yeah, yeah. getting I, it done. I'm on a contract. I'm going to be done yeah, true, yeah. by, uh, cause for me, the personal side of it is more important than my yeah. deadline. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I had sense. that feeling with between writing she, so she who dares was was hard because you're putting your own yeah. this is your own life so every time you're going further back it was more draining and you would have yeah. to take a break and everything how to ask for money i wanted to make sure that i got the facts right so mm. i wanted to make make it easy to read easy to work with and then i wanted to make it that you could do as much of it as little of it as you wanted so you could take sn snippets from it and say i'm going to use that or you could do the full thing and learn how to really ask for money but right now I'm writing a f my first fiction one and I find that more exhilarating really because more I can be a little bit free. Yeah. yeah. I can be like, oh, I'm going to do this. For if you make a mistake, no you'll be like, it's gonna, fiction, yeah, everybody. No yeah. Come question on. the authenticity of it. You know, you know yeah. If it's yeah. your autobiography or something else, it's got to be factual. It has to be factual. You know, yeah. They're going to fact you. But it's yeah. funny because my assistant, uh, the, the one that I'm writing, one of the characters is Lockie and we talk about him that much. He's almost like part of our world and we're like what are we doing with Lockie today where's he going oh no way and this is different than the children's book that you have yeah no out? this is an adult this is, fiction this is, okay this great is first than that but it's it's about um true history and I just wanted to I think it's kind of current and it's relevant for what's going on in the world today yeah. it's a different type of slavery it's a different and it's um it kind of precedes the kind of 1883 type of eras and mm -hmm. stuff. So um, it's, it's really exciting to do it because I've, I've spoke about the, this period of history a lot of times and now I'm writing a story about it and then I'm putting this family into uh -huh. it and then this this whole narrative around it. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. But as I was saying to you, with the three kids and the youngest being one, <laughs> getting into the mind. Because anytime I oh, do, yeah. it's like something else has happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, log cabin too. Oh, yeah. It's just me. I, really nice. I get it. I, <laughs> yeah. I completely and 100% understand. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, Gene, how, how many years had you been in um, the military before you guys met? 
Oh, so I, I, I joined in 95 and I met Alana in 2009. So I'd already been in 14 years and I was okay. already in, in the SBS. So Alana lived in Aberdeen, which is northern Scotland. So Edinburgh is two hours north of Edinburgh. And Paul, where we're based, is right on the south coast. It's about 640 miles from door to door. Mm. And I'd just come back off a, off a job and I wasn't, my sergeant major's like that. Oh, you're flying to Aberdeen on, on Monday. I was like, where's Aberdeen? On oh, Sunday, actually. Like, where's Aberdeen? Um, so I didn't plan on going up there and went up there on the on the Sunday. I was on 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 the flight up. There was two two of my old uh, military friends were in front of me. Um, so before I joined the special boat service, I was the senior diving instructor at the Defence Diving School. And so these guys worked with me, worked with me there, and they were now offshore divers. So Aberdeen is the oil and gas capital of Europe, has 420 offshore platforms, and um, so they were saturation divers. And they're like, wow. "Oh, we're coming out. We're on the, we're out tonight because it was a bank holiday weekend. Yeah. So in UK, you have uh, some bank holidays, which means the Monday is a is a holiday. Okay. And so Sunday turns into the new Saturday. Right. Everyone's out drinking. And I was a bank manager at the time, so okay. bank holiday Mondays was almost like our Christmas. We okay. Got yeah. To go out. And so I was shattered because I'd just been away on tour, I mean, and 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 ended up coming out, going out. And I walked into the bar, and there's these thirty guys, these divers, and I was obviously suntanned, quite quite stocky. And I said, <laughs> I, I said to one of the lads, I said to the lads, Does anyone want to drink? And one of the guys who was at the dive school with me. Um, he was like, oh, put your money away. I've just earned £50,000 in, in about six weeks because that's they're on a lot of money. Okay. So I was like, okay then. So he, he went and bought me a drink. And I wasn't aware that Alana was at the end of the bar with, with her friends. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of the nights, you know, when you're not, I just wasn't interested in, I wasn't looking for, for um, any females or, or any of that. I literally just wanted to catch up with my friends and get back to the hotel room. But during the evening, these guys have been going up to Alana and her friends and then, coming back and a good friend of mine Oz I went to the toilet come back and he said oh Dean knows two Norwegians like it because Alana had you know platinum blonde hair and I was at I said shut up Oz and so I don't know where you have it in the in the US military like we we have because we joke so much there has to be a a a code word which means genuine you know um so we call it no duff so if we say queens or on our wings and dagger it means it's genuinely true and okay. you're not joking but if you lie on queens or wings and dagger mm -hmm. you get your eyebrows sh shaven off okay. or you get a robocop which is where they shave your hair so you look like robocop oh. so when he said w wings and dagger i was like wings and dagger he said yeah so i went on over and i started chatting to alana and her friends and alana's like well we're gonna go to a, a strip club um, two of my friends that I was with, one of them worked in the bank with me, both of them worked in strip clubs as well on, on the side. So we, in Aberdeen, Aberdeen's the oil and gas capital of Europe, and it's a busy place for people coming in and out. And actually the strip clubs, because we knew all the doormen and things, they were one place that you could go, you could have a drink, you, you, there was a little corner we always used to sit, nobody would bother you, you were, it was private, You were. it was a good night, you could just have a drink, listen to some good music. So it was where we always ended up when we didn't want to be bothered. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's where that's where she goes. Well, we're off to the strip club. You come and I said, yeah, I'll just say goodbye to the lads. And didn't have to I was, do too much convincing. Yeah, so I, I, went, I went back to the thirty guys and the guy Dave who showed off about his money. I said, well, that's me, lads. I'm off to the strip club with these girls. And he's like, 
what did you say? And I said, well, they asked if I worked offshore with you. And they said, yeah. I said, only if you needed rescuing. And, oh. and, like, and, I, and I, sort of, I sort of left and my friend Oz <laughs> said it was brilliant. It was almost like a mic drop and you just walked yeah. off with these four beautiful women. And um, <laughs> so, yes, that's when I, I first met Alana. And, and I thought, you know, I might impress her, tell her I'm in, in the SBS. So, I, you know, the next night when we're out, I, told, she, I said, oh, I'm, I'm in a thing called the SBS. Did you know what it was? No. I no. so that in the UK there's a furniture company called SCS. SCS. Okay. So yeah. I thought he was telling me he worked for a furniture company. So right? yeah, it's probably four because equally as impressive that I move I move furniture around and sofas. So it literally didn't have any effect, which is good because you know she didn't fall in love with me because of my for my job. But um, but I think well, people would tell Jack how you then realised that I was probably the one because I, I Alana and I we we obviously physically were attracted to each other, but. Um, Aberdeen's one of them places where, especially for females, it, yeah, Aberdeen's. Um, I don't know if you've heard of like the Freemasons, and that there, that town is is very much like that. So there's a very is a male dominated industry in everything that you work in. So up to this point, I'd really worked in those environments. So I'd been a debt collector, um, and then now I was a bank manager, um, and I was used to that kind of almost like misogynistic way of things but also as a female you had to kind of stay down know your place know your thing but I always had these desires ambitions dreams that I, I wanted to achieve and I was achieving them you know I'd done a lot of traveling I'd done a lot of things on my own anyway um but I kept a lot of what I wanted to myself because anytime I would say something it would be almost laughed at or get your head out of the clouds that kind mm. of thing so when I met Dean and Dean said uh, what is it you want to do as bank manager what you've always wanted a good job you know is all, what you've always wanted to do and I said no um I've always wanted to be a spy that's what I've always wanted to do and he says okay and the next day he came into the bank and he had the application form for MI6 and a friend of his who worked there was was on the phone and he said right I'll talk you through the application the chief and instructor the process. oh wow yeah <clears throat> there I you go pulling out all the stops yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was it it was he never once laughed at it or judged it he was like well let's make it happen then yeah. let's let's go for it um and there's a process you go through and I got through to stage four and that was the family history and I got rejected at that point so I don't know what's in my family I've never <laughs> known they didn't tell me um and I was a little bit deflated and Dean was like well let's do something else then and then we, that's when we looked at private security and we looked at other worlds that we could go into and I was like this is this is the person yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, a few so, things out. What's the what's the watch story? The watch, uh, yeah, the vertex, yeah. So no, not that one. The oh, other watch story, no. the one. Oh, the watch story. Yeah, like early the, on, yeah, like the, so, uh, there was a bet of some sort that. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. They and do you it. say it's a watch in here, but is it uh, is it Rolex, Tudor, so, or no, it's uh, the Omega Seamaster? Okay, so they so they have um, yeah, yeah. there was one of two hundred and fifty. The limited editions, but actually the it's behind the face. It's behind it. it has the SBS cat badge, so you can only buy it if you are a badged operator and you're only allowed to buy one as well you can't like to start buying christmas yeah, yeah. gifts for everyone right. and so um i i had the watch and and that that whole week i was in aberdeen with alana on the final evening there's two other sbs guys with me uh we're out in the bar and i said to alana do you want to do you want a game of pool not knowing if she, if she plays pool or not well, Alana, growing up with her dad, you know, her parents, as she mentioned, her parents split up. So she used to spend um, um, 
weekend. Yeah. Dad uh, was the, the kind of Sunday dad. So Sunday dad, pretty yeah. Much, he'd pick us up at 11. We went down. There was like a, a snooker hall <laughs> and we spent the afternoons there. So that was all we ever done was play pool as kids. And snooker is a little different than pool though. Yeah. So there was the snooker hall, which obviously has got the, the, the snooker's got the bigger tables, the pool. So as like a seven, eight year old, we've got the smaller tables. So it was pool that I, I was always mm. um, drawn to. But my dad wasn't like, you know, it's okay if you miss. It was like, you'll hit that ball. You'll hit it correctly. You'll ah. hold the cue correctly. It was really, really strict with how we how we played. There was no messing about with it. So, oh, wow. so she was a hustler. Okay. So uh, I said, you want a game of pool? And next thing, I'm 4-1 down. Um, then I pulled it back to 4 all. And I, again, I didn't know if we were going to see each other after this week. You know, I, I live six, right at the bottom of, of England. So I said, I'll tell you what. I said, if, if you win the next game, I said, and I put my watch on the table. And, and I think they're valued at £30,000 because they're limited editions. I said, you can have the watch. And my two friends in the SBS are like, ah, what? <laughs> and I said, but if I win, I said, you have to come down to pool and visit me. So um, I think at this point, because it was such a long distance, I was like, it's going to be this week. And yeah. Then, I'm probably never going to see him again. That's uh, this, this is it. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I won in the end, and I kept the watch, and then yeah, and then I kept the woman, <laughs> which you still have, right? The yeah, sorry, well, yes, have, you have the woman, you you have the watch. I still, still have the watch. Yeah, yeah, a lot of my friends actually. You know, so a lot of my friends. So the SAS had the Breitling, um, SRR had the Rolex, mm. and SBS had the Amiga, and a lot of guys just kept them in their box. Yeah. I actually deployed with mine. I jumped with it. I dived with it. You know, mm. I, I did everything with it. But it's now. It's back in the box. I, I, I tell Alana it's for our son, and Alana says yeah. it's, for, it's for her. So um, <laughs> I was wondering who was going to be wearing it when you guys showed up here today. I thought, I thought you might have worn it today. I, was, I looked when you walked, when you walked um, in. It's funny when he says he still has it. Like, ask him where it is. I bet he doesn't know. I know where it is. I, I do know where it is. I do know <laughs> yeah, don't, don't misplace that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, no, I know where it is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's fantastic. Let me tell you about First Form. They have amazing products. My personal favorites are the protein sticks and the micro factor daily nutrient packs. And why do I like them so much? Because first form makes it super easy to get quality protein and nutrients on the go. And I always seem to be on the go while their products are top notch quality. What I like the most about them are their values. First form is so much more than a supplement company. They are deeply committed to both American jobs and your personal well-being. At First Form, they value people. In fact, the only thing they've automated is a tape machine, a symbol of their dedication to providing jobs and making lives better. They care about employing people, nurturing their growth, and genuinely improving lives. Their mission is simple. First Form is there to help you reach your fitness and wellness goals. They believe in a partnership where, if you meet them halfway, they'll help you make progress. Go to firstform.com slash jackcar to receive free shipping on any orders over $75. That's one, the number one, S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com slash jackcar. Once again, that's one, the number one, S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com slash jackcar and receive free shipping on any orders over $75. And then from from there, you still had another deployment at, at this stage, and you're going to, to Oman. And is this when the uh, parachute? That accident was it. Yeah. Happened? So when I when I met Alana, I was actually I was actually at the pinnacle of my career. You know, um, I was single until I met Alana. I was happy. I was going back out to Afghanistan. Um, actually, before we went 
uh, on deployment there, we were on the, the counter-terrorism um, phase. And so any hostage rescues in UK or overseas, we were on. So actually, we were, I wasn't, I didn't go back to Aberdeen for a while because I, we weren't allowed to leave. We had our pages. Mm -hmm. We weren't allowed to leave more than 30 miles, uh, sorry, 30 minutes of, of uh, being on camp. Mm -hmm. And so guys that had kids were never allowed to be on their own with their children because they had 30 minutes from the pager going off to us deploying. So Alana would make the effort to, to come down to see me. But we had this sort of like an unwritten rule that I couldn't really tell her where I was going on, on some of them. So if she'd receive a bunch of flowers and a bottle of champagne in the bank, it meant I, I was gone. Um, and what Alana would do would put the champagne on ice and then when I came home, we'd then open it together. So mm -hmm. it was I mean, a I kind of always knew because I think that's maybe where my investigatorial skills because yeah. <laughs> anytime you would say he was doing something I was like what's going on in the world yeah, it, wasn't hard, it wasn't hard to work out where, yeah, exactly. where, you, where you were and, and it was the height of uh, piracy as well on the east coast of Africa yeah. as well and coming right. from the special boat service you know so yeah I was literally doing and I when I joined the special forces it was the height of uh, time on war and terror you know it's the busiest time in UK and US special forces history we were doing things that our predecessors have been waiting 10, 15 mm -hmm. years for. Um, you know, did the first yeah. ever operational jump for the SBS and nice. did first ever operational jump for the Black Roll for UKSF, for, you know, oh. diving on cartel boats. Amazing. You know, literally ticking all the boxes in a short period of time. So for me, I was like, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 at, I'm at my pinnacle in life. Yeah. And then, yeah, as you rightly touched on, we were in Oman ready to deploy, um, doing pre-deployment training for Afghanistan. Yeah. And I was doing a, a hey ho jump, so high altitude, high opening jump. And we were already hey ho trained, but we had uh, a few new lads that just passed selection, and so they had to go through the process. So our sergeant major's like, "Well, you boys get on there and do a fun jump." And I, ne I never believe there's any such thing as a fun jump or a fun dive. They call my Hollywood jumps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the military take a good sport, I mean, they ruin it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> diving, jumping, diving, all jumping, the fun stuff. The, yeah, all God. the like, skiing. You know, yeah. got a house on your. Well, back. I do want to ask you about that skiing thing, actually, because you were an instructor there, uh, or did you do the course? Yeah, you did yeah. The ski course, in, the instructor in Rukin, course. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, I'll, I'm going to go back to that. We'll go though. back to that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he said you do the fun jump, and it was my third or fourth jump of the day. I can't remember. Normally, I like to get myself at the front of the stick. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys, we frog it. So we jump and turn around and face uh -huh. towards the aircraft, which upsets all the parachute jump instructors anyway. But uh, this time, they put me in the middle of the stick. And as I exit the aircraft, I normally, you know, count um, 3,000 and then just look, look forward. But my leg was caught in the line above my head. And so with hey-ho, you're at 15,000 feet. You're on the limits of uh, altitude. Uh, on oxygen and um the parachute static line so unlike skydiving where you're so this, line, this is a static line it this was a static line it's a hey-ho so it's one of the insertion methods that you know the parachute opens straight away and you can travel up to 50 kilometers or 30 minutes in the air so it gives you your offset from the target mm -hmm. uh, um, and then you travel you fly towards the target area and so I, I looked up, my leg was caught in the line. And so I'm trying to kick my leg out before the parachute got pulled up. And I couldn't clear it in time. It went up over my head and to the right. And thankfully, oh. my heel did clear. Otherwise, if my leg was still caught, it would have taken my leg off completely. But straight away, the pain, I'd never experienced uh, pain like it. I was vomiting because of the pain. And because the oxygen was so thin, I was drifting in and out of consciousness. Oh. I knew I had a canopy, which was good. And I could 
see the rest of the stick but there's no point in coming on the net and telling everyone I've got a sore leg because there's nothing there we could do, they could do but uh, managed to land it one-legged it was a great landing um, but unfortunately the damage sustained I tore my ACL MCL meniscus in the knee my hamstring my calf and my quadricep so normally if you tear a, mini- um, a crucial ligament you 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 got the supporting muscles they'd all gone as well and so literally in an instance everything I'd ever known because I, I was a, a a military child joined at 17 I've been in the military 16 years now uh, ha- had ended um, and so it's told you know thank you for your time you know it's time to leave so the guys go away on on deployment and then you're you're left to sort of recover and, uh, and pick yourself up the issue I had actually is the, the the Icelandic volcano had grounded yeah. all aircraft. So you're stuck in Oman? So I'm stuck in Oman. And they just throw me in the hotel in Muscat with some painkillers. And, and I'm just fading away, really. But I think, oh. yeah, you were, it was kind of two weeks it took for the, the I think it was the RAF that picked you up. Yeah, there, it, was, there was a, it was an Aeromed flight coming back from... Are Iraq. you guys talking on the phone at this, this time? We're, we're talking back and forth, but he's like, they're pumping him with tramadol and everything else and it was starting to become depressed every time i spoke to him it was more and more depressive Uh. it was more and more like i could hear this like really difficult to describe how you've just got this super positive Mm -hmm. great amazing person to this like tone that i just didn't recognize and then he landed in birmingham and got they put him on a train down to aberdeen he got into aberdeen and he was just he was skinny he was white his the life had almost drained from him. It was really strange. And then he, he, I think he knew that his career was over at that point. Um, but when we were going back to, to Frimley, back down to the, the, the hospitals down south, because there was nothing in Aberdeen for them, um, the, the way that they were treating them, I think, was what got me. It was almost like, well, you're no good to us anymore, so we're mm. not in any rush to fix you. Uh, we knew he needed so much work on his legs. He needed the operation um and it took almost a year from actually get the operation when i spoke to the military doctor he said that they knew that he wasn't going to ever be able to deploy again so they weren't nobody was rushing to to get him fixed um and the whole time his you could see his mental health was suffering you could see that there was one time he tried to run and he just went down he couldn't he could you know the movement just wasn't there anymore i think you know, I talk about. You it. tried to run too early. Did you do it against doctor's orders? <laughs> I'm guessing. I didn't really realize until reflection. Now it, it was an identity crisis, which um, you know, you've gone from knowing what you're doing for the next two years yeah. to what is my role within society, and my sort of own identity had gone as well in the fact that I got to where I had in the special forces because of that physical robustness. To now not even being able to run a hundred meters without your your leg giving mm. way, and to add to the also, the pressure was Alana was eight months pregnant with our first daughter, and it's like, how am I going to support my family? Is, is there any work out there? So it was, it was an accumulation. Um, well, I think of when things. you first got injured, I'd, I'd fallen pregnant, and then mm. um, the I think the egg incident. I think was mm. we were in camp. So at this point, <laughs> we, in the book, we weren't <laughs> actually married. Um, so we were staying on on the kind of singles quarters mm-hmm. in camp. Uh, so we've got so I'm pregnant Dean's got this brace thing on his leg we're in one of those three quarter tiny little beds um, so Dean would end up sleeping on the floor a lot of the time just to get to get space and he'd gone into the, the kitchen which was this communal kitchen and I could hear him from the bedroom and I just heard this this 
shout, this scream, this horrible sound. And I, I honestly thought some something had died, something had happened, and I didn't know what I was about to walk into in the kitchen. Mm. And I walked in, and there was just this broken egg on the floor. Mm. And he was just distraught. And I said, what's wrong? And he dropped this egg, and it was... I'm not a man anymore and I can't do anything. I can't even make breakfast for myself. What's wrong with me? And it was just this whole... And I think that was the point that I was like, right, come on, we need to do something. Let's mm. let's work out what our next steps are. You're not in the military anymore. We need to work out mm. how to get you out of this this mindset. So that was mm. the... Yeah, I think it was more the fact as well. You know, I, I love the military and, and, you know, I learned so much from my time in the military and I will always promote it to people. But it just felt that those latter stages of my career was a dark cloud because Alana, you know, they lost my medical documents. You know, there was a spiral of errors which took up to 44 weeks before I was even operated on. I I had a knee operation back in um, 2001 and I had the operation and I was up and running within six weeks. I was doing 30 miles again on the commando course as an instructor. So you've gone from the tier one special forces to almost like, yeah. We, we don't need you anymore and i think that's what i think what the more research we've done since then is that the military literally was his family you know mm-hmm. he'd he'd been with them for so long he'd only ever known it his dad was in the military this is all he'd yeah. ever known and then it was just now like yeah we don't need you anymore off you go yeah. and it really his his mind was like well where do i belong now where am i who am i it wasn't really until because f- actually then uh, um i want to try be uh, tribunal here and five years later you no know, because they paid me out on the wrong pension mm-hmm. and so it wasn't really until we were successful five years later that I felt I could I'd been reciprocated for my time and yeah. I could close that chapter but there's hundreds of thousands of other cases of people I know who yeah. are still still fighting the system and and actually I had a good friend who's a ex-director special forces a general and it, if it wasn't for him, I probably would have given up. But he said, oh. look, the military, we're giving away some secrecy, the military won't even open your file. So you, you'll, 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 um, you'll put a case against the military, they'll turn you down, oh. um, and then you'll do it again, and then they'll turn you down the second time. And they lose about 75 to 80% of people because they're like, I'm not going to win this. They don't yeah, actually like open your file. Company. Yeah, they don't open your file until the third your, your, your third submission um, and then they open it and so yeah it's just the way we had to fight actually to start with I had to even fight just for Dean to do it because he yeah. still had that loyalty mm, to the right. military he wouldn't he didn't he felt like he was taking money from the people yeah, he was working with that's not rather than an insurance company so it was to, to say no we need to fight this and we need to um, and then yeah we did win, but actually the funding was used to 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 do the the bike ride in the end. Which <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah I used fifty thousand pounds of the money to then you know start the, oh, the wow. bike ride campaign. Okay. Yeah, so um, you keep saying bike ride, so that for people listening, this is a, a little bike ride from the most southern tip of South America all the way up to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, yeah. uh, for a world record. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, so insane. Um, well, and somewhere in here, there's a uh, an incident with the uh, the chip tooth incident as well with Ant. Yeah, oh, with Ant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was. Um, so the deployment that Dean didn't go on, the one that he missed from from the leg, uh, one of one of the guys died, Seth, and so Dean was at the funeral, and all the lads were at the funeral, and and all this stuff was was accumulating in his mind, and they all, I think, Aunt cracked open the bottle of champagne, and they were all drinking it from the bottle, and Dean went to take some, and Aunt kind of hit the the back of it, and it just chipped his tooth. It was it was just an accident. There was nothing. 
And then the next thing I knew, Dean had, I don't know if you know Anne or if you've seen him, but he's, he's pretty short. And Dean had him by the throat, kind of off the ground. Um, <laughs> totally cool. They're totally fine with it now. But it was like, it was. I like, know, I was reading that in here because yeah. it's, in, it's in here. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, dang. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Dean probably didn't put it in his one, but... <laughs> I don't know yeah. if Ant put it in his either. I'm not no, Ant wouldn't put it in his for sure, but um, it was... Is that around the same time as the egg yeah, breaking all things, all that's happening? Yeah, my leg was yeah. still in the brace. You know, these guys, had, you know, they'd just come back from tour, and it's like, you know, they're celebrating. Uh, well, mm-hmm. uh, well Seth's so funeral. They weren't celebrating, it was Seth's right. funeral, but they're... They're still one hundred percent fit going back out on deployment, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm now sort of wondering where do I go? Where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. And so it just then took that one incident, and then I yeah, I just uh, you know one arm up against the yeah. wall, and I was like okay, and then realised yeah something something had to be addressed. And actually, the best thing we did was was leave pool. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys I know that get injured. They'll stay in Coronado. Mm-hmm. They're staying around San Diego. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're seeing it every day. They're seeing the guys yeah. coming back, living that life that they used to have. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing we did was actually we, we separated. We, I literally disconnected completely from the military yeah. and just focused on the next job, which was the private security. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. Same yeah. thing, because I, I noticed that during my last couple of years in, I wasn't deploying anymore. I was at BUDS, our training yeah. center, as the operations officer, and and I saw people leave the military, my buddies, and go on to the private sector, but have a really hard time leaving that past life behind. And so they were calling me up all the time as the operations officer saying, hey, can I come give uh, so-and-so a tour? Or can I stop by? Or they'd go to BUDS graduations or SQT graduations I guess at the time and then um, we'd have uh, SEAL Foundation events and they were at those and then they were at the same bars that we yeah. all went to in the teams and grocery stores I mean there's only a few in Colorado yeah, yeah. Uh, dropping the kids off at the same school seeing people who are getting ready to deploy and yeah. or seeing the wives of someone who was deployed and saying oh how's so and so doing and so they're just they're so connected to it that even if it's healthier to move on they just can't because of that physical yeah. location so I just noted that as I was uh, yeah. getting ready to get out it's the only like industry like work industry that you can do that you know if you leave I don't know I left the bank I never spent half my days in the bank after mm. I left you know but being mm. in the military it's so easy to stay because it's such a community and yeah. you have to kind of just get away from it to, yeah. to be able to break free from that thing. oh yeah that's why we came up here I wanted to make a physical and psychological break with the military and uh, build off that foundation and it was a great 20 year run but now it's time to move on and yeah. do that uh, start this next yeah. chapter writing for me is that passion yeah. and uh, taking care of my family is my mission and those two things give me purpose going forward so being able to articulate that recognize that I think is uh, mm. I think there's some benefits yeah. um, to being able to, to do that sort of thing but um, when you look back at that time up until the, the parachute accident um what lessons do you draw from your time down range that now you you now that there's been time between the accident yeah. and uh and all the things that you're doing now what do you th- what, what are those some of those lessons that you that you take on maybe pass on to your kids or pass on to people who are getting out of the military or making any transition in life and maybe ones that you if you had taken a breath back then after yeah. the accident that could have helped back then during the time of the cracked egg incident and the champagne incident, like what, <laughs> what, what lessons do you think you could have applied to, to that time in life? I mean, I mean the lessons, my lessons though, like we do a lot now with the honor foundation here in, in the U S which is, which is a transition program mm-hmm. for 13 weeks for yeah. the special, the SOCOM to the civilian sector. You know, my, when I was in the military, I don't know whether the military is almost like, we see civilians as almost like the enemy. 
you know we 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 don't know much about this this civilian world you know they don't talk like us you know alana frankly i had alana because i was at civvies you know they don't understand they're always late and things like that and so <laughs> i i was worried that i was going to end, end up being in this community that i didn't actually like um and so for me i didn't have that transition period we have normally when you come to the end of your career you you have a two-year transition program i didn't have that and so i was almost fast-tracked into that so for me i always say you know anticipation is worse than participation you know mm. i i was already telling myself i'm not going to enjoy out there these people they're not as professional as us and actually there's just as professional as us just from different different backgrounds so for me is ask ask for help um you know the problem is we come from a community where we are overachievers and we're scared of we're scared of failing and it's hard one of the things we went on a transition program and what they did is they brought in four guys that had left the military yeah but all of them were very successful entrepreneurs or businessmen and i'm like ah oh great that's us under even the, under more pressure <laughs> because these guys have gone out and yeah. they've done done really well but i knew one of the guys peachy that he'd you know his company a couple of his companies had failed and mm. then his last one then then achieved you know you want to hear real stories of mm. of, of hardship and, yeah. and 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 lesson lessons learned and so so for me is is um you know what did i you know from my time in the military i i, I, I speak to people a lot of my friends are like well i don't have we don't have the same as the u.s you know u.s is great with your with your veterans that you can then go to university mm. paid for we don't have anything like that no gi bill type of yeah that. yeah we okay. don't we don't have any of that and so even some of my friends one of my friends has been in 30 years and we go for big dinners down in london where people could want to sit with the special forces community and and these people are in wealth management big banks mm. and, and and he says oh you know i'd never be able to do what you do because i don't have a degree and i'm like no we we have so many other skill sets that we underestimate from our mm. times in the military, which the civilian sector probably doesn't have. You know that uh, being able to communicate. Mm -hmm. You know, people nowadays. Can't I think using, you know, on, on the transition side of it, the, the the communication side of it, you learn it while you're in amongst the yeah. guys. But then when you're coming out, you know, there's there's two people's lives that are about to change, and probably the kids as well. The kids are probably not used to you mm -hmm. being home to. Yeah. You know, depend on how it happens if it is through injury then it's instantaneous if it is the transition then you're transitioning back but if you're not talking to each other like you no know, wife's normally you're used to you being away constantly mm. now you're going to be home but this is almost like her home turf and now you're coming into this yep. and if you're not talking to each other and communicate i believe it's 95 percent in the sf community yeah. um and i think a huge amount of it is is down to communication and how that that process is working and and knowing that you're coming out of this identity phase and one of the the talks that i do for veterans is about knowing your worth and understanding mm. what all that is worth on the outside and how you can then apply it because a lot of the time you see them come out and they just start a complete whole new career you know so you're yeah. going from top of this game to maybe the bottom of this game and then you're just not getting the respect and the level because you're not understanding what all that is worth and then maybe the employer isn't understanding what it's worth because then you're not able to articulate it properly. Um, but the, I don't know what it's like in the US, but the UK are like, well, here's how to write a CV and here's how to do this. Mm. Well, nine out of 10 times they're going into more of a self-employed world rather mm. than the employed world. So, you're, so do they have a mortgage? Are they leaving military quarters to go into a new property? All these things that they're going to learn. Dean had never paid a bill in his life, you know, when he left. 
Um, it still hasn't actually. Yeah, I still don't. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd never, I'd never written it. it. And since coming out, I'd never written a CV and never had yeah, an, yeah. an interview. But communication-wise, what I was getting with there is that nowadays, you know, the digital technology, people are scared to talk in in, in public. Uh. In the military, as an ops officer at Budge, you have to address, you know, guys. So there's a, there's a skill set which we which we have. You know, we we go into situations where we have a plan. And it doesn't go to plan, so mm. we 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 react and we still achieve that mission. You know, in some corporations, they don't they can't understand that. And so, yeah. actually, there's a lot of stuff and skill sets that we've learned from our time in the military that we can, you know, transition to the civilian world. And I wish I'd known about that more about that then, and I'd been more confident going into yeah. it. It's only since since leaving, and then I met. I think where the pin dropped for me, I, I took a UK trade investment um, group to Libya, and these guys were for the top five oil and gas companies in the world, and they're presenting to Libyan oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So these guys are on six, seven-figure um, wages. Of the five, four of them, their whole their their presentations were poor. Mm. They were nervous to talk in front of people. Their powerpoints weren't in order. Really? They hadn't done their rehearsals. I was like, ah, that's basics, huh. and and that's when I the pin dropped with me is that actually we have a lot of skill sets and a, and huh. a, a lot of attention to detail that we can then you know take into the civilian sector. So I say to those that are leaving, don't feel like you're below the others and you're yeah. trying to, whether you've got a degree long, or not you're actually there yeah and, and they're there. It took so. a long time for that pin to drop. I mean, I remember okay. I knew who Dean was i'd seen what he'd done i'd seen how he worked i'd seen all these things and that yet he used to put himself down so much when there would be jobs that would come up and i'd be like yeah you're way above that tier what kind of what kind of jobs it could be um like not the security stuff that no, you guys security. Oh, so okay. all security stuff security, yeah but, but more taking the, the lead on stuff and somebody and, would say it well uh, you know we'll pay you 250 a day for that and i'd be like absolutely not he's worth you know three times that amount mm-hmm. And then he would say, well, no, Alan, I'm no different to the rest of the guys. <laughs> yes, you are. Mm-hmm. And it would be a constant, because of the, the special forces ethos, is the humility being one of them, he was so humble and, 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 and just thought he was on par with mm. everybody else. But there were so much skills that Dean had, not just special forces wise, but the physical mm. and everything else that he's got. That he wasn't recognising to start with. Yeah, I think what I took from from the the, the the special forces is is Hollywood. You know, Hollywood has this perception of special forces with biceps, bullets, and bombs. You know, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham, Chris Pratt. They don't help matters. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, neither do you, by the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, jeez. So, but that, but that's twenty five percent of what we do yeah. is that offensive action. Actually, fifty percent of what we do is support and influence. It's hearts and minds, and that's what I took from my time in the special forces and dropped into the security sector. Mm. So I didn't really, these other guys were going in with their weapons and things like that. And I was more of, of an intelligence approach to, yeah, understanding the demographics, the politics, the tribal influences, yeah. embedding myself with the Taliban, embedding myself with, 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 with locals in, in, in the countries as well. And so they're the sort of things that I, and that's where and I that's sort of differ. what I say, if they, if they say what's Dean's USP with everything, it is that, human touch that he can Mm. make friends with you know the guy on the street to to the king like he'll literally Mm. connect with them in the same way and form bonds and we've got groups of friends around the world and there's pretty much nowhere that we couldn't pick up the phone and get help or get whatever might be needed um, because of the way he can form a relationship so i I would i would like for example mogadishu everyone's at the airbase i would walk out the airport straight to the nearest hotel and just start you know i i tend to work on my i st- 
back in the days, uh, I, I worked on my own because it was easier for me to look after myself. When you're working with bigger teams, you've got egos, you've got other guys' welfares. And, and so that, that's probably where I then realised, actually, yeah, there's something that's different from me to the others is, um, mm. is being able to sort of communicate from top to bottom. Where we've been successful in the security industry as well is the fact that where possible, I would give as much work to the locals as possible because when they see that you're putting food and water on their table mm. for them and their families they're going to respect you and they're going to want to work for you as well whereas some of these bigger companies come in and try to do it themselves and that's where they hit hurdles so this is where we've managed to get through barriers where other people haven't got to is because i'd probably say 75 percent we can give to locals 25 percent we have to keep for ourselves yeah. you know, because of the sensitivity of stuff but, but then i know, think the next section of why many fail on that outside is so Dean has all that nailed and then in the back room it's the invoicing, the mm. the business side of it keeps running through and that's one of the, any guy that I see that's in, biggest thing I see is he's not charging for his, his yeah. work, he's not uh, invoicing, he's not doing these things. Um, not paying bills, not doing yeah. taxes, not doing, <laughs> setting up the right LLCs. Or, or, or charging for the work yeah. they're doing. Uh, like I, I, was, I was dealing with a guy once and he had a pile of invoices he'd never sent. He'd be like, I'm too embarrassed to send them now. Really? Well, they we, need to read your book, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that's My the way goodness. our strengths and weaknesses are. I still don't, I don't talk money at all with clients. Mm. I, I hand them to Lana. But we, we come from a background where you know, if we're planning an operation in Afghanistan, I need two CH-47s, I need a UAV, I need fast air, I need a squadron of guys. And no one gives me, no one tells me the price of that. It's yeah. automatically done for you in the military. It's free. It's free. <laughs> Everything's free. There's no scope of work. There's no NDA. There's no proposal. So we come from an environment like that. So when I left, I didn't feel comfortable talking about yeah, money. Yeah. And I was at 250, yeah. 350, that would do. Right, yeah. And that was good money. You yeah, know, yeah. compared to what we're in in, in in the teams. Yeah, yeah. When in fact, there's other people out there not as qualified as you asking for two or three times as much. So it's really, mm -hmm. it was just really under, understanding your, your value and your worth. And that's where Alana talks about in her book, you know, does a lot with the, with the veterans. Yes, you may have, when you're in the military, that is your wage. But out here, you can earn tenfold. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's... Uh, well, interesting you talk about talking to the king and, and uh, the person in the hotel and the Rudyard Kipling poem, if speak yeah. with kings nor lose the common touch. Exactly. And uh, exactly. so I think that's a, it's one of my favorite, yeah. my favorite And I think poems. a lot of the things that Dean's achieved, you know, um, Abu Bakr, I think was one of our, our greatest assets at the time. And the he, this, he was our fixer. Um, and when Dean was doing some of the most dangerous missions, you know, when you, you see like, What's the film? Thirteen hours. Thirteen hours. Yeah. So this is Libya. This yeah. is Libya. Yeah. No, we talked about him on the first. Mm. And, okay. and you watch. Whenever we were watching the movies, and you're seeing all this blasts and guns and all these things going off, and I remember it that you know there there was times that those things were happening. But what Dean was doing was always you know he was staying in people's mum's safe house. You know, safe like houses. staying like you know even during Ramadan they'd be looking after him and they'd be mm. doing all these things and there there wasn't many people that you know, the white bald man with tattoos where they they would do that. He had this connection. I think it just genuinely was the respect. You know, if Abu Bakr called us now, we would be like, Yeah, what do you need? What, what can mm. we help you with? And, you know, there was there was just so I, I can't ever pinpoint what it is with Dean, but he has this ability to just 
be at one with anyone. Yeah. I think it's a different approach. And I'll use uh, Somalia as a good example. I remember going over to Somalia and uh, I met this guy and he and I sat down on the floor with him and his family, shared bread, coffee. And and that's what I did. I didn't bring my Western attitude with me. I sat down on the floor, you know, respected all their all their cultures. And and I won the contracts. He said, because you've come here and you've seen the atmospherics, you know. Is this one where the car bomb goes off outside the hotel? Yeah, yeah well, like that's when I'm trying to find the hotel, yeah. So okay. the car bomb goes off. I grab the driver and we, we find the, the largest, hotel, uh, largest hospital in Africa, actually, mm. being built by the Turkish. But no one on the Air Force base was aware of it because they weren't allowed to leave the perimeter. Right. So I was getting a lot of information um, from that. But, you know, he said, I'm getting emails every day from... UK, US companies from New York, New London, offering me their services, wanting to get into partnership. But none of them are willing to come out here and see what's mm. actually happening on the ground. And so that's what, that's where I used to initially get the foot in the door, is yeah. the fact that you've come here, you've, you've taken the risk. And actually, yes, it's not, it's just, it's not a, totally as dangerous as the world's making out. Mm. You know, there is an element of risk, but it's not as bad, uh, you know. And the car bomb would be a, a good indicator. The, the car one, bomb was, it was a good yeah. indicator. But then I would go spearfishing off, oh, wow. off Mogadishu. You know, it's got the most beautiful beaches uh, because it hasn't been commercially fished for five years. So there's an abundance of, of wildlife. And you wouldn't realise you're a couple in, There are a couple of sharks out there too. There's a few, right? nobby, there's a few nobby clarks, yeah. Uh-huh. There's a few sharks there. So, um, but, you know, it, it's, it's the that that you, you have taken that, that risk and wow. and that's where I tended to earn that initial respect yeah. and then I just grow out the from same there. When we when we again back to the the kind of movies and there was one what was the, was the Expendables you know the, the and you see the first first Expendables I think it is when they're doing the pirate and they've oh, got the Somali the scene Somali hmm. pirates I'm like that there's the, I've never seen a more Nigerian looking Somali in in yeah. my oh, life in that initial I'm like anybody that we ever dealt with on that side of it. You know, they were trying to feed their family. They're fishermen who can't fish mm. anymore because the oil's ruined their waters and mm. they're, they're just trying to earn a living. And every anybody that we've ever dealt with that's been kidnapped have been treated respectfully, have been fed well. They get fed better than the pirates do. You know, they're always looked after in that way. And I just think that, I'm not saying that it's a great thing, but I just think being able to take your head out of what you're meant to be told, you know, every Muslim's a terrorist, every, you know, it's, that's not the way the world actually is. And as Dean was saying, like working with the Taliban in during the Afghan pullout had to be done. We have to do that right now. I'm working with, um, getting some education back there. You have to work with them. You have Mm. to do these things. So it's, um, learning how to communicate with everybody, I guess is, is the key. What is the, the, when you were on the phone with uh, Dean once in Libya, I think, and a gunfight starts going off in the background, all of a sudden the phone goes, goes dead. Um, what are you thinking about in those, those situations? Um, well, I think for that one, you know, Molly was kind of demanding at the time as well, but she, she was, she was there. So you've kind of got to keep cool. But I think that instance in itself worried me the most because the SBS were calling and I was getting people who were currently serving calling me to try and find out information because they knew that Dean was on the ground they couldn't get information from the ground and I was like that was really when I knew Dean's on his own there because if they don't know and they're asking me and I've got to feed this information back so when you know the the prologue in the book kind of explains it and the phone goes dead and I'm not sure whether Dean's survived this or not I mean I'm, I'm praying and I'm hoping that everything's gone well and I've just got to wait but I'm still living life here. I've still got mm-hmm. to make sure Molly's okay. I've still got to make sure that, that this side of it's good. 
so you you almost learn to desensitize a little bit and you 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 put yourself into this um but I think when I did I'm not going to swear but when I did lose it a bit was when he called me 10 hours later and said that it had all gone well and then he had a nap and then he called me <laughs> oh you can't say that you yeah there's no rest immediately <laughs> no. called as soon as you possibly could as soon as possible it's get, true. get my head so down yeah the adrenaline you know as you know when sometimes you come back you're, you're exhausted just purely for the adrenaline but a little text or something a little text yeah like maybe that. a text would have been good yeah yeah but yeah. I, I think yeah you know in the private security sector, I probably did more sensitive tasks as a civilian because, mm. as Alana said, the SAS were there and the SPS there, but they're observers. They weren't allowed mm. to do certain things. So we, we were almost a, a source of information um, yeah. uh, for them. And so, yeah, I, I, and because as a private contractor, you're not governed by, you know, the UK or US government and things like that. So I was able to do more and get more information, do certain things that others probably wouldn't be able to, you know, the fact they can have a face to face with the Taliban, yeah. you know, talk that, you know, you know, those sort of things. So, you know, again, that's the sort of stuff I picked up from my time in yeah. the special forces. It wasn't that offensive action stuff. It was that face to face, you know, being embedded with the locals and yeah. understanding the ground truth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, before I go on, I want to make sure that I ask you about uh, the ski instructor course oh, and yeah. meeting one of the last surviving oh. members of the what's known as Heroes of Telemark Heroes from of Telemark, World War yeah. II. What was that? What was that like meeting him? And, and, uh, and, and what, what 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 did he play? What what part did he play in that mission? Yeah. You know, on reflection, is like it's one of these things as a kid you didn't realize. I, you know, what an amazing person that was until, you know, he was the last surviving hero to come out. So when I joined the military, I'd never skied before. Um, I then joined the commandos and we used to deploy to Norway every year from January to March. And it was an on, it should, in case the Russians decided to start walking, yeah. uh, heading west. And there's a, a, a close relationship between uh, the UK and Norway from the war. I mean, yeah. the king of Norway sends a... a Big Christmas tree to London, doesn't he? Each oh, no year. kidding. Yeah, yeah. Sends a big Christmas tree to oh, wow. to UK, which is right in the in the, in the centre of London each year. So there's still oh, that relationship cool. there. So my first experience of skiing was my my Arctic warfare course. Wow. It's in, pretty warm up there during that time. Oh, and we're above the Arctic Circle in Jeez. a place called Harold Haraldvoll and Bardafoss, <laughs> and we're also diving in the water as well. Yeah, it's freezing, and so I that was my first exposure, and that was 19, uh, 1997. Okay. Um, so pretty early on, a couple of years pre, in. Yeah, pre, yeah, yeah, pretty early on. I, I, I just went st uh, straight through the commandos, and then 1998, they're like, "Well, we need ski instructors. We now need military ski instructors and Arctic warfare instructors." So probably one of the best courses I've done in the military. It was a civilian course. Spent six weeks in Rukin, where the um, still water plant is from the Heroes of Telemark. That's where oh. we did our military ski instructors wow. course, and we had civilian ski instructors taking us. Um, and I'd never done downhill in all my skiing had been langlaufing okay. and telemarking. Okay. Uh, and the only the fact, I'll go back to the, your, your original question. Um, past my military ski instructors, we were then in Kosovo in 1999 uh, and we went to Macedonia skiing. Uh, and it was the first time ever I had fixed, because I was like, why would civilians pay to go skiing? It's horrendous. <laughs> you know, telemarking, <laughs> langlaufing with yeah. this great big house on your back. Yeah. And then went to Macedonia. We went to a ski resort. It was called No Noba Wanka. And I'd ne I was like, I literally. That sounds made up. Yeah, yeah. It sounds made up. It was N O N O B A W A N K A. I bought every postcard there <laughs> and sent it to everyone around the world. And um, my friends were telemarking, and I got, and I, I bought the, uh, the fix 
fixed yeah. there. And then I realised why civilians go skiing. The downhill in, <laughs> we fixed their hills. Yeah. It was a lot better than <laughs> what I was used to. But no, sorry, when I was back in Rukin on the military ski instructors course, yeah, we had one of the... It was the last surviving member from the Heroes of Telemark. He Jeez. was in his 90s. And this gentleman came in. And and, and there's only been a, a probably two or three occasions in my life where, you know, I, 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 I give them my full attention. You know, mm -hmm. a pin could have dropped in that room. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how he had to take his secret document. And he's still in, you know, north of the Arctic Circle. And he's getting chased by 30 Nazis. And he has his secret document, this envelope, which he needs to take down to Oslo, which is the southern Norway. So I don't know how many thousand miles this guy's ski, but how he evaded the Nazis all the way down just to hand over this document, which then was to start to inform him about the still water plant. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, I, I missed so much about uh, in, in that story, but literally everyone's was, was just like, eyes were wide open. Yeah. And yeah, just the, just the physical endurance achievement alone. Oh. Um, but the risk of him actually, all, A, getting captured as well, because he has a family and all the guys got their skis. I you know, my only That's regret is I didn't have a set of skis. Oh, know? dang. The guys got their Telemark skis. No way. Signed from this guy. You know, imagine how, what they're worth amazing. now. But I was just thankful I had an opportunity to be in the room and listen yeah. to, to, the, to that story. Jeez. And so, uh, yeah, it was um, a great place and, and a great course that I went on. And, uh, Man. Yeah, I post about it every year. I try to post about uh, different historical events yeah. uh, when they happen. I just don't want to forget. We want to honor the guys that uh, learned these different lessons in blood, so that we can, uh, you know, we're the beneficiaries of those those lessons. But uh, so I post about it every every year, and uh, it's just incredible yeah. what those guys what those guys do. And the skis I mean, that story. they use compared to what we're using now, you know, our technology is oh. getting a lot better. You know, it's uh, the skis that he was using. Yeah, yeah, wood, wood planks, and yeah. you know. Jay, that's amazing you got to uh, do that. There's a company, I think it's called SOE Expeditions, perhaps. I might mm -hmm. be messing it up, but uh, they go and retrace those steps. They take you on a, yeah. Yeah, there's probably a couple companies that, that yeah. do it, maybe. There's a, there's a couple that do it, and I, I was looking into something uh, once about reenacting some of those mm -hmm. military, but physical endurance ones. Yeah. It's a bit like Operation Frankton, which was the birth of the, the special boat service, known oh. as Cockleshell Heroes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Cockleshell Heroes, you have 10... 10 uh, special boat service guys in five kleppers and only two survive. But the movie stops when, really? the, uh, when the, the movie stops actually when the, the boats get sunk in the Bordeaux River. Wow. And I think that one operation uh, shortened the war by six months. Just the whole logistics, really? you know, because they cut the, the Nazi logistics line with all these shipping. But what you don't see, what they don't tell you is that actually for the, the two, the officer and the, and the Marine, they, they escaped and evade from south of France to Gibraltar. They stole push bikes, cycled over the Pyrenees, and went all the way down to Gibraltar and got picked up by uh, UK submarines. You know, that itself what is like... What a time. I can't believe that. Yeah. Oh, they made that a movie yet. That, made that's that incredible. Movie, yeah. So, you know, for me, I'm always fascinated. I'm more fascinated now in military history than yeah. when I was in. When I was in, I wasn't really interested. Yeah. It's only now that I look back and think, actually, you know some amazing right. feats and for me with physical endurance as well I'm, I'm always intrigued in in those my a, a book I don't read many books um I've read yours though Jack don't I think I've read yours mate I actually you can listen I, as I well joke, I actually read the only reason I read mine is because I had to narrate it you know <laughs> what I mean it's, it's an autobiography but I was actually in an OP in Kosovo we're on the uh, Serbian Kosovo border and yeah. 
there was a 5k buffer zone between um, Serbia and Kosovo, which is a, a no man's land. You okay. know, no one was supposed to go in there, but there was a there was a militia training camp set up there, and we were literally doing an OP on this. And we're in these tents, and my friend gave me a book, and it was called The Long Walk. Yeah. The Long Walk, mm -hmm. uh, I think they made a movie about it. Yep. I didn't watch the movie because the first scene the wasn't like the book where mm. a Polish officer gets arrested by the Russians, mm. gets interrogated, and then he, um, all of a sudden, they're all put on a train. There's 100,000 prisoners, and they're on this train all the way out to Siberia, and it just stops in the middle of nowhere. And they end up all being chained together and end up walking thousands of miles north in the middle of nowhere and build their own POW camp. Oh. And because he's a he's he's um he's an educated guy, uh, he ends up working in the commanding officer's house uh, with the wife and stuff, and uh, he ends up stealing stuff. And then him and two guys decide to escape, but rather than just go east towards uh, Mongolia, which is only about two hundred miles away, they actually walked back the way they yeah. came, thousands of miles south, found a girl who was homeless and then walked over the Himalayas. Um, and so those sort of stories I love is, is, is military yeah. stories, but with endurance feats as well. Yeah. So there's two stories out there that I read when I was young that now later in life I have found people questioning the veracity of. And yeah. I'm like, it's, it's so deflating yeah. because of the times that I read about those two stories yeah. and they were so impactful on me back then and really, you know, helped. They were, they were part of my experience because yeah. I read them and just like anything else that I read or that I did, it became part of my foundation and experience. So I haven't gone and really looked into it yeah, uh, yeah. to see if it is or not. Cause I did, I don't know. Well, one, I haven't had the time and, and two, maybe psychologically, I don't want to be like, Oh man, yeah. all that. Uh, you know, luckily it's not like the only thing I read that helped build my foundation. <laughs> yeah, you know? So true. I think it's, it's, uh, it's fairly solid, but I need to look into well, that and this other one. And I think it goes back to the, we like to put people down a bit. So I, I often mm. find that there's at least partial truth in most of these yeah. things, if not fully. So Yeah, they did that with, uh, they did that with Bravo to Zero. Mm -hmm. They did the real Bravo to Zero where they retraced the steps and it didn't, it didn't yeah, add up. It's no. tough. Yeah. Bravo to Zero, the most famous special forces, you know, it was, it was the biggest mess up. <laughs> so, well, a lot of these things, a lot of the, uh, the awards or incidents that people are involved in come from uh, something that got messed up yeah. or snowballed, and now you gotta yeah. you gotta deal with it. Um, yeah. And so, what what is your take on on all that on Bravo well, to Zero? Because it was before your my, time. Yeah. Like you probably read the book when you got in or heard about it, the book. Yeah, I actually watched the Sean Bean. Yeah. Sean Bean. I remember I watched Bravo it. Yeah, yeah, I think I watched it in Kuwait, I think. And my attraction to that is because actually they play Phil Collins in the air tonight. Oh, the, do they? The, it's yeah, been a long yeah, time yeah. since I saw it. And they're running across the desert. I thought, this is amazing. Um, my, my take from that and Lone Survivor is probably one of the most dangerous things on the battlefield is a goat herder. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean? there's a couple. <laughs> there's yeah, a yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, um, no, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I can't talk because I, w I wasn't there, but when you sort of hear of, because there, there was three teams, there was there was Bravo 1-0 who mm. refused to go on the ground because they said, we're not ready, we don't did have they, the Did right they team. land and step out and look and then come back? I forgot. I think they, I think they didn't even deploy didn't even because deploy. The, the radios weren't, they didn't have the right equipment. Everyone mm. assumed back in them days, a racket's going to be hot, but it's snow. Right. You know, it snows, it's cold Reason. at night. And so Bravo 1-0 refused, the commander made the right decision we're not we're not going out bravo mm. to zero wanted to go out and they you know hadn't checked the radios which is as we know is basic so there's certain things that you check and then there's a book that's just uh been released now with damien lewis and yeah. called bravo free zero yeah i read it and uh, oh, yeah, i had yeah. des powell on the, the podcast yeah, yeah exactly fantastic. so you know it's interesting there's, there's free takes and so i you know regardless what happened um 
you know, before they went on the ground, it was still an amazing uh, escape and evasion. Uh, yeah. And so, so I would never comment on something I, I'd never done. But as a child growing up, you know, the, Bravo to Zero was a famous yeah. SES book. And actually, regardless what, the what they got did, away right, what it did wrong, yeah, it, it, recruitment-wise, it brought people to the SES. Oh, certainly. You know, certainly. So, I still yeah. have my uh, One That Got Away book from back in the day, and I have my notes, yeah. and I showed it to, to Chris Ryan. I'm like, look at the I said, night vision, and I think there's a couple other things yeah, yeah. on there. Like, even if it's just for the day, like, you know, bring your nods and yeah. batteries. And that was me as a brand new guy in the in the SEAL teams taking notes on, yeah. on those things. But what I try to keep into when I hear people – they talk about you know books from somebody in special operations in particular. It seems um, uh, uh, kind of say oh, that that didn't happen or it couldn't have happened. Or yeah. I just think, hey, that's this person's perspective. Yeah. So I try to take it like that. You know, I, I try to think of it as take it as this person's perspective of a mission, of a career, or whatever else. And that's what it is. It's a first yeah. person account, and it's their perspective. Yeah. And you you weren't there, so you know I would never comment on someone else's. You know. Sometimes, so I, I get you know stolen valor and everything. That's you know it can be, but some a friend of mine had um, a friend of ours. She mm. she was on the battlefield, and someone got blown up, and her her story, the book that she wrote. She I, I can't remember it, the exact, so um, don't quote me on everything. But I think she says she collected his intestines or something to pull back. But somebody else said no, it was the hand that she picked up or something. And I was like, it doesn't matter. She picked up a body part. It doesn't yeah. really matter which one it is. Like the specifics of those types of things don't need to yeah. be debated, I don't think. And then if you look into, if you talk to police officers, investigators, detectives who interview eyewitnesses to yeah. something that are just like all essentially watching those, that's car accident or whatever it is. And then they're all watching and the car was, what color was the car? Yeah. Red, blue, orange, yellow. And you're like, you all saw the same yeah. thing, but for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, memory's an interesting thing malcolm gladwell does a really interesting podcast on memory uh where he talks about the brian williams incident when brian williams is talking about going into iraq and a helicopter mm. and it getting shot down and him telling this story and how it morphs over time and and it's a really interesting podcast yeah. on malcolm gladwell's revisionist yeah. history podcast where he goes into the fallibility of uh, of memory yeah and people see things differently no no like post-traumatic stress you know you tend to find like some guys will be affected and some guys don't, you yeah. know, everyone's unique anyways. People deal with uh, trauma in, in different ways, but they may have seen, they may have been on the same operation, but they may have been on the other yeah. side of the building. They didn't see what you saw. So yeah. that's why I would never question perspective. that person's yeah. perspective on that book. Because and then you had fog of war saw. and you yeah. had trauma and you had yeah. traumatic yeah. brain injury and you had what you hear from your buddy yeah. soon after you get back and then we hear from somebody else later. And then it's just, there's just, there's a lot to deal with. There's, yeah, it's not exactly. as easy and cut and dry yeah. as, as some people may think, you know, it's just, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. But uh, so I've, so you're healing and you're doing security work and you're dealing with him, but you're seeing that he's, he's not quite what he used to be or something along these, these lines. What, 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 when did you open the Guinness book of world records or put that down on the table yeah, and so say, Hey, pick, pick something, pick a record to break or what is that story? Yeah. We, you know, we, we'd entered the security world. We were, I think we was working quite well, but there were still things that, you know, weren't going so great. And he was getting into a lot of dangerous situations, as we were saying in Libya um by this point i was still doing this but there was other people that had got involved that he wanted to work with instead of me which was fine he made that mistake that's cool <laughs> but um i'd gone into more property development it was something i'd never really left and i was doing a lot of property development to keep the the income coming in um so when he got back from libya and we made the decision that he wasn't going to the, the kind of nine lives were running out um i said well come and 
help me out here. I mean, there's plenty of money to be made here. You don't need to be taking these risks. So just come come along. Mm. And we'd go to these architects' meetings and we'd do these planning things. And you just would see that he was bored out of his mind. And, <laughs> and again, there was still, it was really interesting because I would literally be like drawing the plans for this building, doing all these things. But as soon as Dean would enter the room with me, they would address Dean and, and mm. I would be talking to them and they would reply to Dean. So it was frustrating for both of us at the same time. And I was like, okay, this isn't working. This isn't, we need something else because your adrenaline isn't getting touched and that's what needs to be to be getting here. So we need to think of something. And Dean had said that somebody had mentioned um, Cape Town to Cairo, this, this world record attempt across Africa. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that looks okay. But so we got the Guinness World Records out and let's just see what we could do. And then I was like, okay, if you're going to do that, then you need to go for the longest road. So there's this road that runs from Argentina to Alaska. It's the longest road in the world. How, how about that? And at this point, <laughs> he'd been cycling on the bike, um, but I think the maximum he'd done was maybe 20 miles. 20 miles, probably eight yeah. miles to the office and eight miles back. Um, but yeah, it's probably five years having left the military to this this point now. Yeah. I'd just come home, you know, just single-handed evacuated the Canadian embassy. I'd only been home... 21 days in a 365 day calendar so we start this is when the second pin dropped for me i hadn't really come to terms with the fact that i'd left the special forces yeah. i was still trying to match that adrenaline rush and so chapter 16 was dead or divorced uh in the book and this was the conversation lana had with me and it, and it was it was plain and simple my you know if you continue like this you'll either be dead or me and me and molly won't but be had here to be, mm. we couldn't say and as many of my friends would say, well, why can't he just get a nine to five job and just work and just provide for his family? Mm. And I was like, because he wouldn't be being Dean if he'd done that. He can't do a nine to five job. That's not who he is. Um, we want to keep him safe from from the danger out there. How do we do this and how do we reflect? So I thought, right, it needs to be a physical challenge. He needs to be moving. The cycling is working. Mm. Um, it's not putting the pressure on that running might do. It's doing it's doing its job. How about we look into something like that? But standard kind of stots it had to be okay well we're going to cycle the longest road in the world let's raise a load raise a load of money and initially it was going to be for for human trafficking because that was what um we we were mainly focused on but then harry had started heads together the mental health campaign and he said would, would you do it for this so we <laughs> said yeah let, let's do it let's work together on that so that's how that all came so together came together um yeah. and then we just knew that there was going to be a lot of planning and there was a lot of yeah. things ahead of us we never quite realized exactly what we were taking what you're getting into yeah. yeah well did when you researched the um uh cape town to, to cairo yeah did someone bike that yeah, yeah. there's a guy called mark beaumont he he biked at cairo to cape town and the only mm. reason we i well, the one reason i didn't like you know doing that one is i'd worked all over africa right. i'd seen africa yeah, anyway yeah. and so it was like well i'm going to places i've been to before what was the attraction with um, a, the fact of the world's longest road, but there was a mm. lot of countries there I'd not been to before either. Mm. So I thought, well, that, that'll be that'll be nice for me um, yeah. to see. But the, for me as well, you know, it's like we, we'd managed to do really well in in the military. You got to the top within, you know, in the military in tier one, and then you have the injury. We then and then basically got to the almost the top in the security industry. You're the, you're the go-to person. So it's like you've achieved it here. You've achieved it here. Yeah. You know, once is is good twice is normally like good luck you know yeah. could we do it in a totally different in a a, a totally different sport yeah. um and and that's why that's why that's why we chose that and also the fact that 
it wasn't going to hurt my my knee. I had to find a sport that my knee, right. my injury wasn't going to be uh, a hindrance, you know, because nothing sexy about cyclists, you know. What I mean, when Alana <laughs> didn't marry me because I looked like Lance Armstrong. Uh. Um, but no, we, we, I, I took on, but I just felt that eight miles to the office and back, you know, I, I was doing a lot of like TRX work, calisthenics, mm. but I, I just getting your lungs going again, I just felt like a huge weight off my shoulders yeah you know yeah. And, and so that's and why I think we chose after it the first after the first couple of hundred milers we you know i knew that dean had incredible physical ability i knew you know there's a there's a story in the book where i talk about him carrying a table across across the snow for christmas and it was he didn't see this as a hurdle he just went and got this table that we needed and uh, we didn't have a van so he carried it on his head and I remember when I tried to lift the table off the ground and I'm not weak, I couldn't lift it off the ground. It was yeah. that heavy. Um, and he'd carried it like two miles in the snow. So I knew he's had this physical ability. But once I started to see how he was putting these miles in and how he mm. wasn't being affected, like I would see other people affected by a physical challenge and not physically, but mentally, I would see at the end of a challenge that was so tough, I'm never going to do that again. Or they'd stop halfway through or they would quit while they were training you know Dean I, I slowly started to see he didn't have that off switch in his brain that said mm -hmm. he couldn't couldn't do it so when we said you're going to do 14,000 miles and it's funny because he talks about it in his book completely different to I talk about it yeah. I knew he was coming in under 100 days <laughs> forever um <laughs> but I couldn't mention that to Dean I had to get it slowly into him that he was going to achieve that but yeah. it had to be done in a very careful way so that it was just a you know try a little bit harder push a little bit further um or the way that i would normally do it is you know if you can't do it it's oh. okay it <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're training like you're you're working out you're training you're focused on that what are and you talk a little bit about a lot about what you're doing in here but what's your perspective because we talked about it on the last podcast yeah. together it's i read it in in the book and then i got to read it here in in she who dares like what you're doing and you're figuring out fundraising pieces and putting the team together and then once you get over there there's some team drama and the medic and then there's all like there's a lot happening you're trying yeah. to shield him from some of this so that he can focus and what is uh so what is your yeah, i think what so your memories stage we've got dean's now hit 40 um i've given birth during during this training process as well so we've got tommy who's now in the world um dean's obviously not working now so we're full-time relying on on what i'm bringing in for this so um, there was a lot going on at home but then I think almost I would say one of the worst things that happened was working with Harry and that's not to say that I didn't enjoy working with Harry it was that as soon as his name was brought into this the situation we were we had a lot of offers of help like lots of offers of help as soon as the the kind of promotional video was uh. released it was everybody wanted to help there was and, and as i said before we only just set up, we only set up instagram while we were doing this we'd mm -hmm. only i had a private facebook account dean had nothing so then you're getting these messages from complete strangers saying we want to help and i'm just thinking this is great you know people want to actually help us um and we're raising all this money so i was like more help the merrier this is fantastic and then we were getting companies offering to help so there was a, a pacific um uh, cycling training company who wanted to help but they wanted to charge and Dean was like well of course let's pay them and I was like well no but if they want to get involved and put their name to this they should be offering to to do it um, for the charity really and they were coming out with things like at one point one of them said that Dean was doomed for failure and there was mm. all these other things that were happening and then I found a local guy um, Dean ended up 
fall in love with them and they, they they done really well together on the train and then he didn't want to charge so it was trying to find the right people who wanted to do it for the right reasons so then I had to go quickly into who's here for the right reasons who's here for the wrong reasons um we're fundraising this whole time so we've got fundraise for the actual challenge and the the donations because what we wanted to make sure was that all the donations was going to go to the charities um and anything we took in the sponsorship was was completely separate so we found a sponsor who was willing to long story short on that one they eventually came on as our our main sponsors and they paid for for everything for for dean to do the challenge but we still had to raise all this money so it was constantly working at fundraise i mean i obviously been a debt collector bank manager so money wasn't alien to me but this new way of of raising money now it wasn't just a case of let's go and collect money for charity yeah. because we had this royal connection we had this legalities and politics and everything else to navigate there's a lot more to deal with when you're dealing with Huge royal family amount, and yeah. is that is that the royal foundation is that their wing that you dealt with so, yeah, is that the how royal that works foundation was set up by william harry and kate as their wing to be able to do any sort of fundraising challenges but there was um 35 people who worked for the foundation and there was all these causes you know the Invictus was run through it everything mm -hmm. came through them and every time they had an idea they had to to go forward with it so the heads together was just another one of these ideas okay so then it ended up being that dean and i were pretty much doing all the mm -hmm. the work when it came to there was 11 charities involved and we were having to pull them all together to keep oh coming gosh. together and, get, and the whole point of heads together was a collaboration of mental health charities but mm -hmm. trying to get them to work together was very hard mm. um and unless you were dangling money at them owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility building rifles is no different started in a garage by a marine veteran more than two decades ago bcm bravo company mfg designs engineers and manufactures life-saving tools built to a professional standard BCM builds professional-grade AR rifles and offers a huge and expanding line of upgraded accessories for the rifle, including buttstocks, pistol grips, optic mounts, handguards, vertical grips, and a lot more. BCM is partnered with veteran American Special Operations Forces instructors to ensure our customers have access to proven training to employ critical hard skills under stress. Every BCM product is a collaboration between our design, engineering team, and combat veteran end-users. BCM components improve handling and reliability in all scenarios, addressing shortcomings discovered in real-world conditions with legacy systems. We assume that when a rifle leaves our shop, it could be used in a life-or-death situation. Each component is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin. Bravo Company MFG is an employee-owned company. Visit us on the web at bravocompanymfg.com and on Instagram at bravocompanyusa. There was one organization in particular who wanted to, to donate a substantial amount of money. And that had come off of, it was actually um, International Women's Day. I'd gone for a drink with this lady. We'd ended up negotiating a 75 grand donation by the end of the meal. Um, by, by the end of the meal, it doubled to 150. And then by the next time we spoke, they were going to put 200 in as, a, as an organization. So then when I told the Royal Foundation this, they were like, oh, no, we can't accept it. Um, huh. Then there, there was kind of, basically, they were saying that this could be a potential donor for them in the future, and they never heard of them. So if they take it now, it was really, uh, like, it was crazy. I can only imagine yeah. how difficult it is um, to navigate all that. 
So I ended up having to get a lawyer involved and spend close to five grand just I'm to sure. be able to accept this money. It yeah. was it was insane, and you were learning all about the politics of charity right. along that way. So it was like a crash course. I'm sure it was very eye opening. Yeah, and then by I think it was very close to the actual setting off day we had one person in particular who was in charge of a lot of the operations that was going on and he was somebody who'd worked with Dean previously um who'd, who'd asked to come on on board and I think it was around about the September I'd asked for you know a list of what what he was meant to have done and he was like look I'm on top of it I said yeah but I'd like to see just mm. just show me what you're on top of and he took offense to it and I kept pushing and eventually we realized that he hadn't done what he was meant to do now these were important things like yeah. vehicles shipping all these things so oh, i had to take that off of him and then he decided that he didn't want to be part of it anymore that that was fine and You're stressing me out just yeah. talking about all this yeah. Yeah. so he m- moved on or i thought he'd moved on and then by the time we really hit the ground there was already tension starting to to rise and as you say plans don't always yeah. work out the way they're meant to work out so by the time dean got to ushuaia the shipment hadn't actually arrived it was still in punta Arenas. so um dean had dean had said to me look he's in ushuaia he calls back home and says look the guys don't want to start yet until we've got the stuff and i was like no you need to start today because we're ready like, everything's good to go i says are you good to go and he was like oh. so you went off mm, um, for, a bike ride. for a bike ride and then i said can you start this bike can you go seven days without kit and he was like, yeah. I said, well, start then, just start. Um, so I think maybe I pissed off the crew straight away then. Yeah. Um, and and there was a way that maybe they thought I shouldn't have been involved. Uh, you know, I'm back home doing things. But every day I was, you know, Tommy was still young. So I'm working two time zones and I'm mm. oh. working out their hotels on the routes. I'm working out their routes. And I was trying to get them to, to, so I'm saying, well, look, there's a hotel here, so keep Dean cycling till that point. But then they would stop Dean cycling and put him into the van and drive it so they'd have to drive back. There's all these sort of mental games that were being played, but the crew was fracturing, like, on the ground. Yeah. We had a production team there, and the crew wasn't letting the production team film. There was, like, just all sorts going on. It was just every single day. Managing egos, that's what it was. You were managing managing egos. And and it came, you know, we soon realised afterwards that, because they were pro bono volunteers, we thought brilliant. They were volunteering their time. Is is as the the project was getting bigger and and, and more uh, eyes were on it, they were wanting to get more involved and saying you can't do it without us. You know, day thirteen, I was Alana rang me because production had spoken here that the medic had been bullying the documentary team, and I'm like, this is a mental health campaign, and we're dealing with bullying on on the you no know, oh. the the bike ride was the easiest part. You know, For a long time, I'm really trying to keep it because I know that he's doing 150 miles a day. Right, so you don't like all like, him. I, I know he needs to be calm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to deal with them, but every time they got irritated, they would go straight to to Dean, which is really not what he needed. Um. So one by one, they 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 started to make these threats and make you know these <laughs> demands, and then they would they would drop off slowly. And I think by Mexico, me and Dean had both had enough of it. Um. I think we met in Panama when I moved the cars down and it was like just a fleeting moment, but it was, you could see there was like a, it, you know, the, the crew didn't even talk to me when I was there. So it was, it was a really uncomfortable situation. And then by Mexico, it was like, the demands had got really Jeez. strong. So it was time for me and Dean to say, look, can you do it on your own? Can you actually do the rest of this trip on your own? And he was like, yeah, I think I would prefer to, we can work it out. We can um, find mechanics along the way. We can find massage 
parlors, which was an interesting um, <laughs> thing when I was looking for a <laughs> yeah. yeah, the right type of massage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. actually, coming back from, I, I've spoken to other people who've done similar feats, and it's actually commonplace in the industry. You know, na- you know, we weren't the first people f- to experience that. It's, mm. uh, so now we, the lessons learned is is it has to be contract. It has to be an NDA. Mm. You know, because when you are dealing with, there's nothing written down then you, you can't hold them to uh, to anything. And so, so yeah, it's only when I finish, people are like, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. I was like, well, wish someone had told me that <laughs> I know. 18 months we ago. Were, we were planning this yeah, thing yeah, for yeah, We worked years. out the, the hard way. So, you know, moving forward with other challenges, you know, yeah. just any support team there is, is contracts and NDAs and pay them for their time as yeah. well, you know. But, but we just caught, thought because it was a mental health campaign, Everyone had it. Their best interest. Yeah. Everyone had the best interest at heart. Perhaps some of them did, you know. And I think mm. just when when the the kind of I don't know, maybe delirium, hysteria, whatever the words might be, of the road that that happened, it, and then because the person that we thought had left was pulling strings in the background mm. as well, and there was like active sabotage happening for Dean's bike ride. Um, I think crazy. it all just got out of control. And yeah, absolutely, Dean's right. Anything that we were to do in the future would all be contracts but we still do like to live by trust as well we mm-hmm. say we'll do it all by contracts but then something we yeah, do right. still like to trust people into into working that way so it is kind of catch 22 there yeah. about how to do these things but well, how was the crash beforehand how much how did the crash impact you how long bike? yeah how long before you actually started it was the was the crash was it early on in your training or middle or close oh, I, I crashed oh on the on the push bike you mean uh, i crashed on day 13 on no the, i mean on, uh when you're oh. back in the in when you're training up before you even start when you hit, did you hit some sign or something like oh, that? No, that was in, that was but, actually on the challenge. Okay. Yeah, that was in, um, so a day 13 it was, I, oh, I was, um, I was, uh, descending the hill and I could see, I could see this sign and then an arrow okay. pointing left and it was two lanes of traffic filtering into one. And so I thought, well, I looked beyond the, the sign and there was nothing there, no traffic, so I was just limbo the sign and I oh. wasn't aware there was a bar that ran across oh. the bottom. So I went from like 40 mile an hour to like bouncing across across oh. the road. But interesting enough, it, it, my injuries, I, I bruised my sternum because of my heart rate monitor. Um, mm. I, I uh, damaged my back because I had the tracker in my back. It was all the technology that we needed really? to, to the bike, uh, which hurt me. It was disappointing because the, the, the production weren't being allowed to film. Um, so we didn't have this. So we're actually making this, the, the documentary is still there. And we're, we're in the middle of, of, okay. of building it up again. Um, but the good bits, like I say good bits, not good bits. Yeah, yeah. The bits that would have been good to catch. Yeah, the caught. GoPro wasn't switched on. You know? Oh, no. Okay, yeah, well. But yeah, for me, it was just an eye-opener how easily things could have gone wrong on yeah. the challenge. And so I was a bit more cautious than going going yeah. going downhill. But, um, but, you know, on a challenge like that, you're going to expect issues. We had food poisoning twice in Peru. I got knocked off my bike in Colombia. Um, so Back there, there up the vehicle? Yeah. Sorry? By a vehicle? You hit a By vehicle? a vehicle, yeah, yeah. So I'd only come into Columbia, been in Colombia, across the border, I was an hour in, I was descending the hill. And, fa- and thankfully, I, w- I was on my brakes anyway, and there, w- there was traffic going down, and this, this car just pulled in to turn right, and they didn't, didn't see me, and just, yeah. you know. But then when they, it was an elderly couple, actually, and then when I picked myself up the gravel, they saw me panic and just just drove off. Oh, but, wow. um, but, you know, it's that sort of third-party influence that could affect the challenge. What I liked about the challenge was I, I as Alana said, you know, physically and, and mentally, I, I knew I had the capacity. Um, I just had to apply it in a different sport. Okay. Um, I just took a military set of orders 
put it on his challenge and crossed out ammunition. We just literally were yeah. the way that we planned it. But um, and then you know, getting to America on day seventy with fourteen days ahead, and then seventeen. Day 70. Seven oh, zero, 70. Seven, I'm like, seven zero. what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Day 70, yeah. yeah. And I'm four, yeah, yeah, I'm like, really what? Good, yeah. Okay. I'm 14 days ahead. I'm like, perfect. You know, I can take my foot off the gas. And actually, coming into America as well, you know, we had spoken to the previous record holders. They'd all started in Alaska mm. and finished in Argentina. Um, but I, I spoke to them and asked them, we do a thing, a bit like a wash-up. Mm -hmm. We call it a hot debrief. What worked, what didn't work. Yep. We're going to do it again. What would we do yep. differently? And all their issues are in South and Central America. So we decided to start in Argentina, okay. not Alaska. And so getting into America, all our issues sh uh, should have been behind us. But Alana rang me five five missed calls in, in, in like 10 minutes. So I'm mm. thinking, something right. wrong with the kids. Right. And then she tells me we were invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding. That's when I first found out about the royal wedding. I yeah. said, oh, that's nice. And she goes, <laughs> no, for you to finish, you need to be in by day 102. Get pedaling. Yeah, so going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead. 10 minutes later, I'm now a day behind. Wow. And so, you know, now I'm now being affected by a, a different timeline. The start yeah. point's the same, the objective's the same. Yeah. You know, I just now, every time I was was getting or getting ad, uh, advantage and time uh, with me it was getting taken away from yeah. me and so you just have to and i think that's again that's where that special force experience came in you just react to the situation as it unfolds you can't control the uncontrollable it's Jeez. like okay well you know i've just got to start pedaling faster so security wise did you have any did you set anything up uh, ahead of time or did well, you just in, interesting enough you know obviously from my, my background you know i we obviously i was mindful of security because the, the the documentary team and the 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 support team a bit more risk averse than myself and so and in South America I would stop cycling at last light we were mm. we we're off the road but I know I, I went through all the Americas Mexico Colombia no issues at all the only <laughs> secure issue I had was Colorado someone broke into uh, into one of the support wagons in really? Pueblo yeah so you literally have gone through all these Jeez. these places which you expect Controlled by the cartels yeah, and all these exactly. things, but man. We, but we had, um, you know, we spoke a lot about that that fear factor of the security side of it, and how again back to the you know perception of what an area is like. Yeah. Um, and people say, even somebody said recently, because Dean was about to film in Mexico, and they were like, "You can't go there; it's so dangerous." Mm. Like it's beautiful. Mexico mm. is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. But when we had to move the cars, um. So me and, me and my PA had to fly over to move the cars from Florida to Panama because they didn't get loaded on the on the ship. So the, the Darien gap between Colombia and mm -hmm. Panama, uh, Dean had to fly across and then we had to get new vehicles at this side. So the, the, the cars hadn't made it and we had to drive these cars down. So I'm back in Aberdeen when I find out the cars hadn't made it on the ship. And I start calling around saying, look, I need people to go and drive these cars. And people are like, it's too dangerous, you know. Mm -hmm. Mexico, Honduras, Nicaragua, we can't be driving through there. I couldn't get anybody to do it. There was a few security people that were interested, but it was going to cost a lot of money for us to do it. So mm. we decided to do it ourselves. Um, but how we planned it and how I decided, unfortunately, the the main sponsor decided they wanted to send one of their guys with us. So I don't know what, I don't know why they thought it was a sensible idea, but they, they said they wanted this guy to come with us. So I sat down with them before we went and just done a security brief and said, look, we set off at first light. We're not driving in the dark. We stick to the main roads, you know, just all the right. how to keep safe while traveling through these countries, you know, because people are like, these countries are so dangerous. Like, yes, if you go out, you know, yeah. 
to the strip bars off the main bit in the middle of nowhere in cartel controlled territory asking to buy cocaine and yeah you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna put yourself into trouble but if you stick to where you're meant mm. to be you're you're not gonna find these things so that was how we'd planned it but then when we were on the road um you know i was like right 6 a.m we're, we're leaving every morning i'd be sitting there sometimes like 6 20 6 30 i'm like come on let's get going we need to move um so i think that that when it comes to the security side of it it was actually about the, the planning side as well that we made sure that we were doing it the right time the right place yeah mm. Yeah, that's why I was. I was telling Ashley before you guys got here. I'm like, oh, they'll be early. Like, I, I just <laughs> these two will be early. I knew it. Five minutes before. Exactly. Exactly. Did you guys watch um, you and McGregor and Charlie Borman do the Long Way Up? I think it's on Apple Plus now. They have Long uh, Way Around, yeah. Long Way Down, where they go down through Africa, and then mm. Long Way, Long Way Up from tip of South America, and they stop in L.A. I think they they just yeah, go to L.A. Do. on that one, but uh, they do it with an electric on electric bikes. You know. Yeah, yeah. Do you look at those guys and you're like, Psh, try pedaling. Yeah, no, no wait, actually, uh, we were chatting about electric bikes yesterday is, you know, you know, uh, we just bought our daughter one and I was reluctant to buy one. I was like, no, you need blood, sweat and tears. But uh, actually, you know, it, it, it's already out there, but they're actually, they're quite a good tool, really. You know, for me, I would never use one. Uh, yeah. What do you think about it when you're speaking about the skis? You know, the, you know, the old school skis to the Yeah, yeah, he's probably, looking at, he, yeah. he's probably looking at our skis. Like, yeah, exactly. Got it easy, yeah. That's exactly what he was thinking. But, you know, it enables people who are either injured to still be able mm. to cycle. It enables people who, who, you know, if Alana wanted to cycle with me, you know, she probably wouldn't be able to keep up. But if she has an electric bike, then she can keep up, yeah. you know, so... Well, I should have I should have uh, been more clear. They they were on electric motorcycles. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, were, they were on motorbikes. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, no, you're true. But yeah, I I, I look at them and no, I I haven't, I haven't I haven't watched it. Um, it's really interesting though because you're talking about it? the Darien well, Gap Dean, and Dean does want to. We keep saying that we want to do it again because although he's cycled through all these countries, he hasn't seen any of them yeah. you know, because mm. he was just like head down going forward. The same, you know, when I was driving the car down like Costa Rica. I entered Costa Rica about six o'clock at night and then I entered Panama about 6 a.m. So I drove through the whole of Costa Rica and I haven't seen yeah. any of it. I, I, it was pitch black the whole time I was yeah. traveling. So we'd love to go back and just see the right. countries. That yeah, we, yeah. We I do a lot of guest speaking. People say, you must have seen some wonderful things. I said, I probably <laughs> did. But I don't really, because I was so fixated right. on the numbers. It's probably about 10 days. You know, we did it in 99 days. It's 10 days that really stand out. The rest is just a blur. And that's why it's really good seeing some of the stuff now that's coming from the from the documentary. Okay. I'm like, wow, I totally forgot about that. You know, what are you thinking over those times? You're pedaling all day, every day, essentially. What uh, What are you thinking about as you're... Yeah, so for me, it was about, I, I needed to be hitting my, my targets. You know, the first week we had really strong winds in Ushuaia. There's nothing mm. you, you, you could do. And and when I was doing the planning, you know, the world record was 117 days. Mm. I was aiming for 110. And it wasn't okay. because I wanted to smash it by a week. When we were looking at all the potential scenarios that could happen, you know, there's things that we could compromise with. But there was natural disasters. I think I, there, was an, there was a coup in Ecuador, four mm. weeks after I'd... Uh, okay. No, sorry. Um, so, uh, Nicaragua, the civil Nicaragua, war. Nicaragua, civil war, yeah. four weeks after I'd gone through. So there's things that are out of your control. Yeah. So I, I, as we do in the military, we give ourselves a bit of fudge. So yeah. I gave myself seven days fudge. So should I encounter any of that? You know, it's yeah. eating into that. So actually, by the end of the first week, I was 39 miles behind target. But my target was still a week ahead of the world record. Mm. Everything from them was gains. And so... We had, I, we called it the Oracle. I literally had every mile of that, that route um, it, down in, in stages. 
but I was now well ahead and then Alana was setting me new targets not knowing what she was actually trying to do mm. she was setting me new targets well if you can get to this hotel so for me it was like this is the start point this is where I need to be at the end of the day but I broke it down you know when you speak about 14,000 miles it would just consume you you know as you know with with selection when you start selection day one you're not thinking about the last yeah. day getting your berry and your belt. You think about what do I need to do today mm. to be here to, to tomorrow yeah, morning? Get to lunch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To get to lunch, and and yeah, and just as far as lunch, don't even look beyond that. So that's why I did. I broke it into countries, uh, into days, and broke them into four stages each day. And so for me, I was just doing four training rides a day, and mm. I would only look at the next training ride. I wouldn't look at the afternoon and next day. So I, I wasn't really... I always visualised that. The wheels down, but then... Yeah, because I spoke to some of the professional cyclists and professional sports people, and, and they, you know, one of the things that they look at is visualisation. Mm. You know, visualisation. You visualise, you know, the Tour de France cross, crossing the, the Champs-Élysées. That, you know, that moment you got your hands off your bike, you yeah. know, that finishing thing. You don't visualise everything up until <laughs> that. So you visualise the end. So... We had a um, we had a, a wheels down ball. It was a big charity fundraising event. Um, six weeks after we got back, but actually we were planning this months before we'd even set off. So right. even before it set off, we're planning the welcome back party, and you had Prince Harry there and a and big. I think we had the we had the best event planner in London. Yeah. But she sat down with us and she went right. What if he doesn't? What's the contingency? It, you know, what's the contingency? Ah. She said. So she used to ask us. At yeah. that point, we, we looked at each other and we're like, there isn't one. Yeah. Is well, Alana said, Mike, the contingency, we go to Dean's funeral. And she mm. kept saying, and, and rightfully so, you know, what is the contingency? Because, you know, there's a lot of money gone into this, this event. And it was only that when I got back, I sat down with her and I said, look, if I knew there was a contingency, when things get hard, you look towards that contingency. So mm. for me, there wasn't well, a we contingency. We, yeah. The, the plan B, we said, look, there is no plan B there. You know, we can't put a plan B there because it gives us that, you know, right. that subconscious mm, is going to be thinking about plan B. So we have to just think of this as the yeah. wheels down ball is our celebration of Dean doing yeah. the challenge. So so for me, it was just like li little successes. You know, I, I made sure that at the end of the day, I was where I was supposed to be. So it wasn't messing with me mentally. So I see people doing challenges and they're like, well, I'm 10 miles behind today. And they're like, you know, well, I'll catch that up tomorrow. But you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah. You may have another bad day and be 20 to 30 miles oh, away. Yeah. And, and mentally it's affecting you. So I always say, stay on that bike, stay in that kayak, whatever you're doing, make sure that you hit your target. Yeah. Because it meant you're in a good space. So really for me, I never had any doubt that I wasn't going to do it because I was so... I was just gaining each day. I was, and, uh, and like I said, I got into America. I was 14 days ahead. I took 10 days off the South America world record. So I knew I was going to do it by the end of the first week. That's so crazy. Yeah. And then you guys have different memories of coming into Prudhoe Bay. Obviously, you came in different differently. Mm. Um, uh, you're pedaling in and, and you're, you're getting the... How, when did you get there? Did you get there, I forget, a day? Or? Yeah, so I, I flew into Anchorage um, on, I think, about the, the 7th of May. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to fly. Now Prudhoe Bay, if, if you don't know Prudhoe Bay, it's just—it's literally just an oil field at the at the tip of the world, really. And it's there's no hotels, there's no nothing. There's a couple of like oil bases with accommodation for the guys there. So we'd spoke to this one platform and said, could we come and stay there for a couple of days when Dean crossed the finish line? And and they were like, yeah, great. So there was a lady who worked there. So we hopped on the flight in Anchorage. And it was literally just full of 
oil workers and then there's me and the two kids and my dad and my assistant on this plane so you know there's a woman and there's kids that was just like what what's going on here mm-hmm. um but when you arrive at the actual terminal we weren't allowed to just walk outside because it was so cold especially uh. for the kids so they had to put like a little tunnel on to get us into the truck um we got them into the truck and then when you arrived at the at the accommodation place the kids had to run through this tunnel to get in and then that was them inside there until the 11th was the day he broke the record um and on i think the day after we arrived we i think we arrived about the 9th we came out to just check out where he was going to be cycling up and when i say i got out of the truck for like 30 seconds to take pictures that was it because it was so cold like wow. it was unbelievably cold we were straight back into the truck after we taken a couple of pictures um so there was part of me who was like like i'm like how is he doing this this right. is like you're going to be on in lycra on a bike yeah. cycling along this road the wind was just it was just ice um so then i'm in this this accommodation place and the production crew drove forward and the guy who was who was filming came to me and he goes, look, I don't think he's going to do it. And this is day nine to eight, I think, at this point. Mm. Um, he said that he's, he's, he's exhausted. It's cold. Like, he's just been blocked at getting in this place. He's done. And I was just like, you go back and tell him his family's here and to get on that bike and to cycle. And the guy's like, yeah, but the road's dangerous. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Get him on that bike <laughs> and get him to his family now. We've waited long enough. Is this the Ice Road Truckers? Uh, yeah, 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 Dalton's Highway, yeah. Dalton's Highway. So uh, he went back and, and I knew Dean wasn't giving up. I was like, I knew he's going, but I knew that the production crew and everybody else might see this as too tough. So mm. it was, it just had to be that last bit of aggression. Just get him this last 40 miles across that road. And then you were hit by a blockade, I think, weren't you? Yeah, well, you know, we, t- we talked about Alana calling me when I got to America and, and then the timeline's changing. Yeah. Um, when I, I, managed to, I managed to cycle North America in 11 and a half days, I had 17 days planned for it. Um, I was just playing chess with Mother Nature. So I gained that time back. Mm. And so I thought, perfect, I can relax again. About a week outside, I was in a town called Fairbanks, and I was made aware of a professional cyclist who's sponsored by Red Bulls, got three world records doing this, who told, who said that he was going to cycle the Pan American Highway in August and be the first man to do it under 100 days. So again, every, by the time I hit my objective, my objective kept changing. Oh, so for geez. me, I was like, I can carry on like I am now and still break the world record. And um, or would I live with myself that I hadn't pushed myself even harder and tried to come in under the 100 days? Yeah. And so that's what I thought, well, I'll go for the, I'll go for under the 100 days. So the last two days, I had 250 miles to do. I knew Alana and the kids were already in, in Prudhoe Bay. So I thought, well, I'll do 150 miles today, leaves me 100 miles tomorrow, and, we, and we're in. Not, not a problem. I did 50 miles, and we hit this roadblock. This woman stood there, a big stop sign. And like it's in the middle of the highway? Yeah, on, on Dalton's Highway, on, on a... On a uh, on, a, on Dalton's Highway and she said and, and it was about midday and she said you can't pass until 8 o'clock tonight we're doing work mm. I was like I'm trying to break a world record and, you know black and white health and safety it doesn't matter so literally I'd had 8 hours just grabbed straight away from me so went into the uh, to the RV and just made another plan I said you know thankfully for me it was a land in the midnight sun it never got dark up there and so there wasn't an issue with it we're getting dark because it mm. didn't I said, well, 8 o'clock tonight, I will continue cycling until I get to Prudhoe Bay. It's 200 miles away. It's minus 18. 
and and that's what I did. I just Jeez. cycled through the night and uh, just kept going. But because of the winds were so strong, I was only averaging about nine or ten mile an hour. Uh, but thankfully for me, you know, I, I had layers on underneath. I had a, a ski mask, and I knew from my Arctic warfare training that you, although you are still dehydrating, so I just made a conscious effort to just keep uh, sipping coffee every every hour or so. But yeah, for me, it was it was it was hard. It, it was difficult, but I knew my family were there. And that visualization, you know, you talk about in your head, you you have your vision of the the finish line, right. you know, taking your. It was literally holding onto the bike, skidding across the black ice. Wow! Um, and the finish line was actually the British Petroleum gates yeah, yeah, to the oil okay. field. There's yeah. nothing, there's no one there. Yeah, you weren't That's able that. to go through. It wasn't. So there's no press. There was, there was no, no, zero it, it press. It was just like a little chunk <laughs> of ice at the end, and the okay. next thing was. Um, the Guinness adjudicator was there, wasn't oh, she? Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And she was the same one from Colombia. Okay, uh, and she still wore the same thing. She was still there in her she dress. Or was that? Really, uniform. <laughs> yeah, in uniform. Old, yeah, thing. but I'd um, before Dean had set off, I'd wrote Dean a uh, hundred mm. letters. So he, he had oh. a letter to open every day while he was there. Um, wow. Well, I didn't know it was a hundred letters, did I? I didn't know it was a hundred. No, I'd just given them the pile, and I said the last I one was hundred seventeen. Finish line. So no way. I thought you had one hundred and seventeen, but you only had a hundred. So, wow. so my morning routine. Well, I, I used to get myself into a routine. My morning routine. I would get up, eat, you know, have a shower, or whatever, and then I would open the letter like day one or day three, and it would either be a poem it may be a drawing mm. from the children just something i could oh. think about in the day so that was just yeah. my normal routine but as i'm approaching um dalton's highway oh actually before that i was in canada and i'm like i don't think there's enough envelopes here and then i look <laughs> and there's only a hundred envelopes uh-huh. and alana says that i knew you were coming under 100 days but i know alana you know how has some money she's <laughs> scottish She's a bank manager. She's <laughs> tight with her money. She didn't want to buy another bunch of envelopes. Oh, like yeah, because they're coming 100 yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that was my theory. But Alana <laughs> said, no, I always knew you were going to do the 100. And so there was exactly 100 envelopes. That's wild. And then what did you think when you saw him come across that or the I, finish I line? I knew he was coming. You know, and you, I mean, you, you could actually, so have you, you know, have you ever been snow blind, that kind mm. of just like white in front of you? And you could just see in the distance this little black dot that just just coming and it was like you know it was getting bigger and bigger but it took quite mm. a while to arrive and you, you I mean we, the kids were inside the truck like I was inside the truck you would just come out now and then but I've never been able to understand how how he dealt with that coldness yeah like that. that's wild ice jeez how long do you guys stay there did you did you spend the night there or did you guys just uh, zip off right away where she spent the so he came in on the 11th we spent the night there and then the next night and then we flew flew to seattle flew back to london and then it was the wedding the next day so jeez so there, yeah there was there was interviews online as well when they spoke okay. to the sponsors and then yeah flew back and then like i said i wasn't really aware i'd lost 25 pounds in weight as well yeah. you know so i needed to eat and I, and i was just getting used to being around alana and just the general public uh, yeah. people it was again quite awkward wasn't it i remember being <laughs> there and you you hadn't spoke to each other properly for a while and there was other people there so it was you were in it's this weird. kind of yeah. strange and then literally landed in london and then just taken off with the pr team for you know, 15 interviews today to talk about a wedding and it's like everything was about the wedding it's like yeah i've literally just rewritten history books here but yeah you know what i'm <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. and then uh yeah what are your guys' memories of the the lead up to the wedding and the wedding and then how long did you stay around there like as part of the uh, festivities or does it is it I like mean, we checked into the hotel dean was straight down for interviews on the the 18th so he was he was away the whole day so the 
the kids again still really haven't spent that much time with them at this point and then in the morning you had to I think we left we got a taxi for like 6 30 it was stupidly early we had to leave um and then get to that there was like a farmhouse next to Windsor Castle so we left really early got to the farmhouse it was this kind of surreal experience mm. just surrounded by these faces that you know and then you're shipped off into um coaches down to to the chapel and then you're there for a couple of hours just waiting for for the bride and groom to arrive Jeez. um but there's there's no water there's no bathrooms there's nothing yeah, in there so you're just like sat the world's there watching there's cameras yeah, everywhere there's wow. cameras everywhere so you can't really you know you can't flinch you can't move you can't do anything because there's just so much cameras there um and then you know the ceremony happens everything goes on there and then it was down to uh george's hall i think um and then it was that was where the food and the, the drinks were but at this point you can see dean's exhausted like he's done we've still <laughs> almost got that you know that, that jet lagged ear kind uh. of feeling about you we're both just we've got a headache yeah. we're, we're terrible he wants to be with the kids so you're you're in this room with like everybody who's right. everyone in yeah. this room and everyone's chatting but we're like we still haven't spoke to each other properly mm-hmm. by this point yeah everyone's sort of um, mingling you've got the beckhams the Clooney's, the <laughs> you know you know james cordon's and things like elton john playing the piano and and, and you just never heard of those people no, yeah you? and you, you're just sat there just like i wish i'd had a couple of weeks to sort of really appreciate and then yeah. and thoroughly enjoyed uh the, the the experience as well but there was a there was a funny moment at the beginning of the day i don't really watch much much tv and and i never really tell people this story as well but um I, I was so dehydrated. Literally, as we pulled up at the at the, at the butchers at this farmhouse, I, I wanted to get a drink and grabbed the drink. And I started chatting to this tall gentleman, um, and it was Idris Elba. And he was telling me how he, you know, knew got you know the Prince's Trust took him away from being in the gangs into acting, and so I thought, oh, perfect, you know. So he he was telling me his story, and then Alana came over, started chatting, and then Idris's fiance came over, this other lady, they were chatting. And so, I mean, the cavalry officer comes in and we're in minibuses, numbered minibuses taking you up. And he's like, you know, uh, minibus number three. I was like, perfect. So we're actually all on the same minibus. And now knowing social media, now knowing media, I would have sat right next to them. But like a naughty school kid, I said to Lana, let's get to the back of the minibus, you know. So we left these three sat at the front. And we were at the back, and then a good friend of ours came on, Bear and Daisy. And Daisy had only given birth, what, three weeks yeah, before? Man. So she's, like I say, from the outside world, it looked like an amazing event. And it was. But from the inside, we're dying to go to the toilet. She's expressing, uh, because she's, she's breastfeeding. You, you couldn't pick your nose, because everyone would have seen it. <laughs> anyway, we were, we were chatting there. And, and invitations-wise for the wedding, there was... Um, Obviously, with the couple, they work a lot in, in philanthropy and non-profits. And so if you work with them in a non-profit uh, capacity, you got a single invitation. Mm. But if you knew them quite well, you you and your partner were there. So Alana coming with me as well was was a, was a big thing. So I said to Alana and them, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, Idris Elba's really in there with a royal family because he's got two invitations. And Alana's like, who? And I said, well, you know, his, you know, his fiancé and his mum. And she's like, who? And I said, that lady we've just been chatting to there with a flowery hat. She's like, what, Oprah Winfrey? I was like, who? I didn't know who Oprah Winfrey was. And oh, I, I've stop never, it. No, I didn't. I know, you know, everyone says, oh, she's the queen. I said, no, my queen is Queen Elizabeth. But I just generally didn't know who she was. And I've always been worried about saying that in case anyone thought I was racially profiled. But I just generally didn't know who Oprah Winfrey was. And so Alan and Emma started laughing. went yeah. like that. He didn't, you know, there was a point... Um, 
he started to look angry. I was like, what's wrong with you? He said, that guy keeps looking at you. He goes, I think it's a bit rude. Like, he needs to stop looking at you. I was like, who? He said, the guy over there. It's like, George Clooney. George Clooney's not looking at me. Like, that short guy in that grey suit <laughs> over there. Yeah. Like, he genuinely doesn't know who I anyone is. I don't know who is. anyone is, like, yeah. I don't really know who anyone is. You know, we chatted earlier, like, one of my favourite movies is Heat. Mm-hmm. And Robert De Niro's girlfriend in Heat. You know, we went for a dinner up in LA. And I was chatting. I didn't know it was her. I was chatting to her all evening. Alana's like, you realise that's the the lady from here? I said, no, I don't. I, I don't watch much TV, so... Uh, oh, that's yeah. Amy, Amy's I think Andy McNabb did a little bit with that, uh, did a little uh, um, technical advising on heat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, I know one of the SES guys did, yeah, yeah. Because you, you could tell that, you know, the magazine changes, you yeah, know, yeah. the way that the weapon yeah. was That was a game changer. Right it was a game there. changer, yeah, mm-hmm. no, yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was great, yeah. yeah so, yeah, I don't normally tell that. Great, yeah, I don't normally tell that story. I think so. I mean, it's yeah. a Michael Mann and, and Meg Gardner yeah. wrote it, and it's so good. And my expectations were high, and that's a tough one to take on. Yeah. It's such an iconic film, yeah. and now you're making, you're writing Heat too. Meg came on the podcast; she's fantastic, and uh, and so I did ask her that question, and she said, "Well, it's a Michael Mann book." Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, that, that answers that. Well, question. Hopefully, well, well, we we had a we had to shoot, we had a meeting in Palisades a few weeks ago, and we had to get from one side of LA side of LA to another for another podcast in, in the evening didn't we and so we 10 hours up, later <laughs> oh yeah well no I, I like to, I like always as you know I like a challenge and I like to challenge <laughs> Google and Google's like it's going to take 42 minutes but we only had like 35 and as you say we never like to be late so I'm racing <laughs> through LA and, and Beverly through Hills. Beverly Hills and I just slam on because there's a, there's a pedestrian crossing and uh, Al Pacino just walked straight in front. <laughs> Al Pacino. Really? Yeah, yeah. He's got his folders like, under his arm. He's got his old suit. And, oh, um, fantastic. He's just keeping himself to himself. But then we look, I look half right, and there's two big tourist buses, you know, taking people around Beverly Hills trying mm-hmm. to spot celebrities. And he just walked straight past them, and none of them noticed oh, okay. him. Yeah, yeah. So, so thankfully, if he is in heat too, I, I didn't kill him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes back. It's really cool. It's uh, yeah. they did a really good job okay, with cool. it. But they go back. It goes predates everything. Tells you how they got oh, up to wow. that that point in oh, uh, wow. in the movie. So it's really yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, and then what point does uh, does SAS come on the radar? So it's been SAS mm. uh, Who Dares Wins show yeah. popular all around around the world. Now it's here in the in the U.S. But um, you had a little involvement with involvement with it early on. Yeah, and then decided not to keep going down that path they did a few seasons and then now you're uh you're in this last one what uh, what was that journey like what would you do in the beginning and then yeah so um, I, I should probably ask alana because you didn't talk yeah, about it in your book really but uh different. but you do you yeah. still yeah. fill some of the beans and in, in uh the she who dares i edited that part with, yeah like, yeah oh, i can't say too much i can't say so too i much. i was it it was 2015 wasn't it so um before the bike ride and um, after the Canadian MC, I, I, I received a phone, uh, an email from a gentleman called Andrew Slater, and he said, "Look, we're looking at doing this. This show, your name keeps coming up. Do you mind if I we come speak to you?" So he flew all the way up to Aberdeen. He was from the area anyway. When he was a Scottish lad, mm. and I met him in a coffee shop, we chat, and he said, "Look, we're looking at doing the show. This is the concept of the show." And they originally called it Selection. Um, he said, "Look, would you be interested in doing it?" And I said, "Look, I like the idea." Again, I wasn't really, I didn't have social media and things like that. And it again, wasn't, it wasn't very good. What they presented yeah. wasn't mm. very good. So we sat, again, Dean, I guess both of us to that stage, we didn't have the knowledge of the industry to know what we were giving away when we were oh, talking. So we ended up basically rewriting the whole concept and, and saying what, what would look good. But 
at this point Dean was still in that super loyal phase to the to the military and and not wanting to do anything that that may upset. upset the community and right. and I was, I was still doing you know there's still a lot of security stuff so I still wanted to keep my head uh, below the parapet and there was a show back in the 90s called um SASU tough enough and it was horrendous mm. and that's all I had really to sort of uh, gauge on so I, I I said look well I you know Ant was a friend of mine he'd just come out of prison at the time so he was struggling to find work foxy had post-traumatic stress and he speaks openly about that on the show and so he couldn't work in the security industry so these two ex-special forces guys who are struggling to get work and i said well look, i can get you the guys um i will be the chief instructor if you wish but it has to be approved by the mod i, mm. I didn't want to start, start rocking the boat and so introduced him to ant and foxy um within a week i was in libya and i got an email from the MOD saying step away from this show you well, yeah. all got it but we the all they all were... got it but for me I was in a position where I was I was working mm -hmm. and so Ant and Fox said look do you mind if we I said you guys you guys take it and we helped with the whole treatment and stepped away and it ended up being a a, a great success mm -hmm. <laughs> and so but I think for me with the, the special force community we went on and then did the bike ride and ended up then being a public figure but that's the special forces community me, with, with me and, and the MOD have sort of realised that I could have took that quick route to fame or what we were doing was was helping the community. So, so. When, when the first series went, and we've got different thoughts on this because, you know, those guys needed to work and they went yeah. and found mm -hmm. this new new career and, and that, that's cool. But a lot of, I think, a lot of the way that it was done, um, people weren't happy as it always is when people put their head above the parapet, people aren't happy. Well, Dean carried on doing what he was doing. He'd done this amazing charity thing. So when the Australia option came up, hmm. you know, everybody was super supportive of him. Every every person in the community was like, yeah, yeah, go for it, yeah. do it. So yeah, I think time is like, if you're doing something like during the middle of the war, still mm -hmm. going on, uh, when guys are writing books or doing whatever, or starting yeah. to, you know, make for you know inroads into Hollywood or, or whatever else, it's, uh, I think time makes it almost more acceptable. Yeah. Um, you know, our wars are a thing of the past now and, you know, not too distant, but it was a 20 year engagement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it just seems like, uh, what was, what wasn't appropriate in 2010 is, now appropriate yeah. and are a little bit uh there's more understanding uh about it i, I feel it's that way anyway yeah, yeah. i think what i do like about dean is that he's kept his authenticity the whole time you know he is who he is he, he had a an amazing career within the force he's left he's done amazing things he's become a, a double world record holder expert in the security industry you no know, so he's done everything the right way and kept it and kept it good which is what I think that is is kept him yeah. above it all. I think with the, S the SAS Australia, so we were asked to do SAS season two in UK again. You know, sort of turned it down, and then, um, and then we 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 we're doing other challenge. We got other challenges coming, and and when we speak to our PR team, it's like it doesn't matter how many world records you've got, or how many millions you raised for society uh, for charity. It's like how many Instagram followers do you have? Mm. I was like, really? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, if you want to get sponsorship, that's what they're looking for. And unfortunately, we're in a society, that's what they look for. So when I'd heard that, it wasn't, it was probably about a couple of weeks later, I then got approached by SAS Australia and I said, okay, I'll do that because then that helps 
raise your profile and then got approached for one of the main mainstreamers about a new concept of a special forces show which i've just finished filming eight episodes and so now it just came at the right time in in mm. in, in our life is that like actually yes now is you're already a public figure anyway yeah. um use this and and there are benefits of doing shows like that it then brings the way i see it when we we've got a, a new challenge coming up to, uh, together is that actually it brings more eyes to us so if we we're wanting to raise money it's easier because you've got yeah you've got you've got millions of you got more you've got more eyes on you so yeah. You know, it, it does it does help, and so that, and that's why you know I, I then did SAS Australia, and and it was actually then welcomed by the group anyway. Yeah. Like, was it fun? Did you have a good time doing it? I enjoy doing it. It's t- totally different from the show that I'm doing at the moment. You know that you know they they um it was it was it was a set, and you're you're left to your own devices. I I, I enjoy doing it, but I, I enjoy this show that I'm doing now. This is this is more this is more unique. It's not celebrities it's not a, okay. a reality tv show this you is can just tease it right you can't talk about you it can't anymore talk about, about it right, yeah right. no it's it's um and and it's it's not been done before and yeah. so yeah anyone who has any interest in the military will, will love this show Andrew, yeah, we almost were together. Well, I shouldn't say almost uh, i got reached out uh, to on doing one of the sas shows oh really and, uh, but i was writing the books and yeah. doing everything it was just not a you know not a, and the other guys would have much better whoever you know uh i'm not the yeah I'm not the good instructor. I think I was good. Like, imagine you. Yeah, I, it's yeah. not my thing. Well, I yeah. didn't really shout either. Yeah. You know, my one is is I'm I'm one of these. Plus, ones. I would have had to start working out again. You know, yeah. Yeah, just exactly. like, yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm quite I'm quite quiet and but I, I remember always being because um, I you know I, when I see these SES ones, you know, it, it isn't like the SES. They don't even shout at you on selection. It's hard enough as it is, and so that's where that authenticity and entertainment comes in. And I think SES now is just all entertainment mm. rather than authentic. But, you know, I, I don't really, really shout. But I remember when I was an instructor, um, being a student myself, you used to get instructors come and scream and shout at you. And you didn't really achieve much. Yeah. But then when I was an instructor as well, you know, there was instructors alongside me who would do the same for no reason. Whereas I was like, I would just engage with the, with the recruits, you know, have, have a bit of humour with them. But they knew if they messed up with me, then it was like, you know, yeah. all hell's about uh, to break loose. Yeah, but yeah. it also also felt like they they let you down as well. Right. And I always asked, I always did. I, I never asked them what I couldn't do myself. Yeah. You know, if they need to do fifty press ups, I do fifty press ups yeah. with them. You so also rarely hear Dean uh, use bad language as well. Mm, That's one yeah. thing that I often see different from the rest of them when I see it. It's his 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 vocabulary is a bit more yeah. advanced than that. Well, I think as well, you know, again, we're relentless. I probably swear about two or three times in a book, but then yeah. you know that that's probably an, an important part of the book. Right. And if he's, if he's swearing, if, he, yeah. if you're swearing all the time, right. and, I, and I'll use Ant, I'll just throw Ant under the bus. He just, every second word is the F word. Um, <laughs> so it's expected. So. Yeah, so it's expected. So you don't know any different from you when he's know, having a right. conversation with you or he's actually angry with you. Right. So, so yeah, Which so my approach... Because it's the opposite to what he's actually yeah, like yeah. in real life. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, generally like a, a lovely dad with his kids, Aww. you know, family man. But then on the screen, it's like... Whereas for me, I was just I was just authentic. I yeah. just I just kept my same. If I shouted, then I shouted for a genuine yeah. reason. But no, for me, it was really in, a great insight into the world of TV. Yeah, you know what goes on behind the scenes. Okay. You know, I loved it actually because their their timings. Yeah, it was military. It was military style timing. So yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, before I let you guys go, I got I have to ask about Miss Scotland. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I thought I got over that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
What was that experience? It's like, did you uh, did, did you enjoy going through that process, or was it more like eye opening, or what? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say enjoy. It was definitely the reason that I'd done it was because it was something that was like so out of my comfort zone. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I wanted to try something that was something that I would never normally do. Um, and then I seen this this competition. It was Mrs. World, and it was um, about all aspects of being a woman: the mother, the wife, the business, everything. So I thought, yeah, like, sounds sounds good. Let's give it a go. Um, did I enjoy it? It was, yeah, it was it was a, it was an experience. I, it was different to what I thought it would be. I'd hoped that it wouldn't be the stereotypical of a pageant. A lot of it was, but what I did do was I did meet some amazing women who, you know, forty mm-hmm. women from all around the world. When we got to to the Vegas um, shows and the women that. I believe should have been in the final were the ones who were all kind of backstage at the end mm. um, but you know every one of them that I met Mrs. Belarus the things she does for her country and the, uh. the work that she does was unbelievable um, but she was a little bit more outspoken so she she got <laughs> she got put to the end but very similar to, to probably my reasons was when I was seeing things weren't right I was kind of speaking up and that wasn't the way it was meant to be but um, I met uh, probably the the closest person that I met was Mrs. England and we became Mm. really close and she knew nothing about the way that I lived you know she was a mom and and wife first and she'd never really been in business or she'd never done these things so the the charity world everything else was alien to her but her world was modeling and fashion and all these things so I was learning from her how Mm. to kind of be a woman in that way and I still kind of take a lot of the stuff that she taught me and we've stayed we've stayed good friends ever since but I I wouldn't say I would ever regret doing it because it took me out of that comfort zone and I just think that that's a place you should always be and the minute you feel in your comfort zone you should get out and do something else but I've done it I've ticked the box and yeah, yeah how to walk. I learned how to walk yeah, yeah, yeah apparently yeah. I couldn't walk yeah. when I first started the lady told me I walked it's the whole thing yeah, yeah. I know I won't speak for Alana but you know she saw it as potential for it, that profile to talk about modern slavery and human trafficking wasn't it yeah yeah i mean it's the, they do want you to um talk about a cause that you're working in and a lot of the girls were going finding a cause so that they mm. could sign up whereas i already had the cause and it was something that i could i could talk about and it's the same as the mbe it's a title that gets a door open you know like you're mm. you're in the sbs it immediately pricks people's attention up you know having the mrs scotland or having the mbe gets people and then they'll listen to what i've got to say about human trafficking or sex trafficking so it does give you that little, little extra, extra step, I guess. Um, but it was it was a fun experience, and I can say that I've done it. And I've walked on a stage in a swimsuit, which <laughs> up with the skydiving is not being repeated. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, shoe dares out now. Relentless out now. Great companion reads to one another. Uh, and then you have the children's book coming out. You have uh, how to ask for money over here yeah. uh and you have the, the uh first is it a novel when you mentioned the other yeah so book you have? for money is the business book she who dares is my memoirs there's the three kids books which are all um titled after molly molly's adventures which is just about living your own way helping people um and my son tells me i've got to now write a tommy's travels one oh, yes. along yeah. that lines. but the fiction one is definitely something that i'm working on and i have been speaking to people about possibly adaptations of it um and 
and your podcast. Okay. Yeah, we have the we have the podcast. Yeah, and uh, behind the scene, as as I said, up up until now, everyone sort of sees. You know, a lot yeah. of people would have seen me, and I always I'm very um, open when I'm whether I'm guest speaking, whether I'm on podcast or in the book that none of it would be achievable without Alana. You know, Alana was running everything, and as you know, in the special forces community, for I don't know if the, the the ratio is the same in the US, but every for every SF operator to step out, step off a helicopter or jump out a plane or dive in water, takes seven other people in the military that you don't see. Mm-hmm. So the behind the scene podcast, we're getting successful entrepreneurs, business types sports people people from the military who are in the line like they're in they are public figures but then bringing their partners on you know mm-hmm. those who are actually maybe sacrifice their own career for the other person to to succeed um and just bringing them out of the shadow and it really resonates with any sort of relationship you know someone always feels like you know mainly the women they tend to obviously take a if they're going to have a have a family, they're going to take a pause on their own career, and then you know the husband then goes off. So we're talking. We explain about how you can actually both succeed mm-hmm. together. You know, don't need to be resentful for the other because they're succeeding. You can actually do it all, do it together. So that's yeah. the purpose behind the scene, as in S W E N. Okay. Yeah, and I think so it really pushed us forward. Like, you know, I'm not saying everybody should go out and write a book, but when mm. Dean read my book and I've read his book, it really did give us a different perspective and teach others lives and i think this podcast is something the same as we want to show yeah. people that there's there's um just to the to the normal people we understand what you're going through and yeah. let's talk about it between both both sides so it's, it's yeah. quite interesting but it's opened us up to doing a lot of things as well we yeah are, we're now working on challenges together so yeah what's the next challenge are you uh have you announced it yet or we talked about one i think on the podcast last time but i'm not sure yeah the the, the original i was going to be kayaking the river yeah. now but every time i go to open that folder in the covid uh was the was the the big issue a couple of years ago and so and then we moved over to america and now there's a war in sudan so i'm still gonna mm. have to keep that folder folder shut but um alana gets a little a little bit upset is well you could probably explain about with my with my will record with the bike ride because you're from the special forces people just assume you're going to do it right when he's special forces you can do it they don't really when it comes to talking about the bike ride a lot of a lot of the conversations we have is just like it's just happened now i i've drove that road that dean cycled and even driving from Mexico to, to Nicaragua, like there's one point I'm driving 21 miles downhill and I'm, I remember driving it going, how is he going to cycle up this? He's coming back this other way. This is incredible what he mm. can achieve. And and when I speak about him cycling 14,000 miles at 41 years yeah. old, it's almost just like, yeah, but it's Dean. Dean can do. Mm-hmm. And I try and explain that, yeah, but it's the, the mental aspect. His body is very physically strong, but his it's his mental aspect that got him through. And people are like, yeah, well, he's special forces. And I'm like, yeah, but special forces can only achieve because they've got this mindset that can pull them through and do these things. And I believe that anybody can do anything with that mindset. The physical side of it can always be trained. The mindset is something that you have to have and you have to be able to pull, pull through. So... Mm-hmm. So and it, no, we haven't spoke about it yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. I won't press you on it then. Yeah. But I do want to talk about Vertex watches yes. real quick. So, uh, man, awesome. And Alana, you put me in touch with with these guys over there, knowing I'm a watch person right here. It's Bronze, it's bronze 75 right bronze here. 75. This thing. Uh, I mean, and it's one of the, what, the Dirty Dozen? One of the Dirty Dozen, yeah. So, so Vertex, um, uh, 
the CEO of Vertex now is a good friend of mine, Don Cochran, and I'm an ambassador for for, for Vertex. Nice. So the and why I I like Vertex yeah, is yeah. a lot of the guys that we we chatted about, Ant, Foxy, all them lot were they were all Braymont were just gathering them all up and I never go with the with the crowd I'll go the other way and I got introduced yeah. to Don and he told me about the history of, of Vertex so his great grandfather set up the company in 1890 Jeez. the origins so everyone thinks when they think of chronographic watches they think Switzerland is yeah. the birthplace actually London was the birthplace of them and, and a Rolex was Rolex. formed there as well and so Don's great grandfather set up the company his grandfather then took over from the company was an officer in the British Army in the Second World War and the MOD then commissioned 12 watch companies to provide watches to the military uh, known as the Dirty Dozen the original Dirty Dozen and you have Omega CWC Vertex were the only British brand of them yeah um and you know, if you if you go on the website, you look at the history, and you see a photograph of the on D Day, the American Airborne officers all checking their watches. It was Vertex watches nice. that they jumped in on. So I just love the 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 military history yeah. uh, around it. Um, but what's great with with with, uh, with Vertex? So sorry, going back slightly. 1975 was the birth of the digital watch, which killed a lot of the chronographic yeah. um, companies. So the company then um, you know ceased. But he went to his grandmother's funeral about five years ago and he always remembers making watches with his granddad as a young boy and he said i tell you what i'm going to set the company up again so he, he set up uh you know he, he reignited vertex yeah. and um what he's done is like, like the bronze 75 mm -hmm. was a limited edition for the vj day the 75th mm -hmm. anniversary he has the mp45 from the original 1945 watches he just he just uh, brings the old star watch and, and modernize it like with these uh, the Aqualines, the bezel is from a Brent gun. You know, oh, so, really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's attention to detail I like. Um, no way. But it's not about owning the watch. It's about being a part of a club, the community. He's just yeah. opened a shop in Mayfair. It's like a little cafe, and you come in, and he's like, he wants to know about the watch owner. So the Queen, so some of the watches like the M100, you can only have if you're a veteran or you've been recommended. You can't ah, just go buy it. That's cool. And so you feel like you're part of a club. And the Queen owned two Vertex watches as well. Okay. So it's a very unique uh, watch-owning owning community, and he's just sort of really keeping that. And he's been approached by hundreds of investors who want to sort of really, you know, grow it. But he just mm. wants to grow it organically and, and feel like you're, you're part of a club. So I just love the history. I, yeah. I love Don. And, and, and I just love that attention to detail yeah. that comes with I'm it. I'm still waiting for him to make the diamond <laughs> watch that he keeps promising. Uh, yeah. it's, it's on his list, Come I'm sure. On, I'm yeah, going to go visit. Yeah. I'm going to go check that out, that cafe. I'm planning on going... I don't know, you never you never really know depending on yeah. filming schedules and everything but go see the the Wesley Richards guys back yeah. there talk about a little little rifle build go to the Grenadier pub where there's this yeah. uh Grenadier vehicle out there yeah. that's uh this guy Ratcliffe he wanted to make a something that looked kind of similar to the Defender 110 old school oh, wow. uh, and tried to get the patents and I think this is the story anyway but Land Rover wouldn't give him the patents so he had a team of lawyers come together to figure out how you make a utility style vehicle with as few computers as possible because you have to yeah. have some things to today for safety and, and all the rest of it but how do you get as few computers as possible in this thing as tough as possible and make it look cool so it uh without violating any of these yeah. patents from uh from land rover oh, wow. and uh so they but they 
got the name Grenadier from the pub. And then he bought the pub, you know, because oh, why not? Nice. Uh, so I'm going to go over. I think I want to go over, hit that pub, go uh, go talk to those guys, I'll stop by, see, see Vertex, going, yeah. Wesley Richards, and then uh, maybe go on a, a hunt up in Scotland, actually. So, oh, amazing. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's on the list. I don't know if we can fit it to squeeze it in this year. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> her next year, anyway, 2024, we'll see. But I it's something some I want to do. There's up there, so if you want to connect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And I'm so glad you guys are close pretty close by in California. Yeah. And uh, thank you for making the trek out here. It's so awesome to be able to hang out a little bit. And congratulations on everything you guys have going on. It's uh, it's amazing. I mean, you're an inspiration to, to me and to uh, as a as a couple. Um, and, uh, and as I know, you are to a ton of people who are still in just getting out been out for a few years so it's really cool when when people make that transition from military life to the private sector and then uh then crush it so um so thank you guys uh, thank you so much Appreciate no, massive thank you and i think just as an extra big thank you you know you've been such a support to us since we got here and as soon as we arrived with the book yeah. and everything like we can't thank you enough so thank you for having us as well oh absolutely absolutely all right we'll do it again soon yes. definitely all yeah. right take care Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. First off, rifle dynamics over here. This is a rifle I got a couple Christmases ago. And yeah, this is a beautiful rifle. And check that out. Had this out the other day doing some research for book number seven. And they, this is a limited edition, I think they did at Christmas. And uh, look at that. Check that out. Christmas theme. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And if you haven't checked out Rifle Dynamics, be sure and check them out on the social channels and their website as well. Black Rifle Coffee, exclusive coffee subscription. And this month is Space Bear. Bam. Comes with a sticker and some instructions as well. And uh, if you haven't checked out Black Rifle Coffee, check them out. Delicious. It fuels my writing process and this podcast. And thegrizzlyforge.com. Look at that, Lucas O'Hara. Look at that Damascus blade right there. So cool. This one's called the Muskrat right here. And he's grizzly underscore forged on Instagram. So go check out what he has going on. Veteran who's been on the podcast before makes amazing knives. And with Dean and Alana Stott, just having been on the podcast, he's doing some work with staccato. So that is a staccato right there. This thing is beautiful. And look at these guys did. They put... Cross tomahawks, right there. Very kind. So check out what Staccato has going on. Looking forward to getting on the range with Dean one of these days and uh, giving these things a run. And the books. Yep, Relentless right here. That's the U.S. edition cover for Dean Stott's book right here. And here's Alana's books right here. How to Ask for Money, She Who Dares, and the children's books right here. So be sure and check those out. And then they gifted me this. Really cool. SBS Silent Warriors, the authorized wartime history of the special boat service from the secret SBS archives by Saul David. So very kind of them. Thank you guys so much. Sincerely appreciate it. If you've been following me for a while, you know the gift of a book or watch means, uh, means a great deal or a weapon. And uh, speaking of watches, we talked about Vertex watches, uh, history dating back uh, to before World War II, but one of the dirty dozen watch companies from World War II. And uh, Alana Stott put me in touch with them probably about a year, year and a half ago. And this is the box that this particular watch came in. But Vertex watches, check them out. And yeah, very cool. 
then under here, yep, extra band instructions, and just a very cool history for the watch people out there. All right, I think that is it. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Alana Stott, visit her on Instagram at A-L-A-N-A-S-T-O-T-T and visit her website, alanastott.com. And be sure and pick up her books, How to Ask for Money, She Who Dares, and her children's book series, Molly's Adventures. To find out more about Dean Stott, be sure and go to his Instagram at Dean Stott and his website, deanstott.com. And be sure to pick up his book, Relentless. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA. Officialjackcar.com is the website. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner for the merch. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting.